Hi, welcome to the Book of Majora podcast, the podcast where usually we discuss Zelda lore. My name is Crystal, and with me today is Monica. Hello. And Cameron. Hi. Now, we are recording this on April 27th, 2018. Yesterday, we all saw Avengers Infinity War, and today we were going to record the first part of our series on Twilight Princess, but we canceled that in favor of this because the movie made us very mad. Especially Crystal. Yeah. Especially me. Okay, also especially Monica. Yeah. So Cameron, you're going to have to play the defender here. Okay, well... You're going to have to be an Iron Fist, Luke Cage, Daredevil, Jessica Jones. Oh. All four? Yeah, that's me. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, okay. I guess I'm Danny Rand today. Okay. Why would you pick pick the worst one? (laughs) Be nice to yourself. Because I don't have a very strong position to argue from here. Ah. Okay. Okay. Because it's like, my, my position here is that this is an entertaining movie that was probably made as well as it could have been according to the story that was outlined by corporate, but... That's sort of my position, too. It's got problems. Yeah, but your position is these problems are so rancid that they burn your eyes. Uh, sort of. Yeah. I mean, we're not going to totally shit on the movie here, so for people who like it, well, no, they probably still won't enjoy this. (laughs) I would say the first hour or so of this movie is actually pretty good. Yeah. Uh, But then it starts cashing a lot of checks that will not be delivered on until next year. Speaking of the cashing of checks, we should probably mention to our listeners now, um, if you've gotten this far and you don't want to hear spoilers, what are you doing? Spoilers! Turn back. Yeah, we will be talking about the movie and all the details of it. We will just be going in. So from this moment forward... Assume that we are already going to spoil the very end of the movie. This is your final warning, and that's it. Okay, so how should we how should we start this discussion? Okay, so um, theoretically, we should be talking about like the lore of the movie because we, we we did that with Ragnarok, right? We basically outlined the the plot of the movie and talked about how it played into the larger themes of the movie. That's correct. Yes. And in the unaired Black Panther episode, we sort of did the same thing where we picked apart the themes. Uh, The difference with Infinity War is that I don't know that it... It has themes in it. It has themes. They don't form a narrative backbone to the same degree that the themes in Ragnarok or Black Panther did. No, they They didn't have a meaningful theme. Oh, I, 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 I... It's a good theme to pick, the one they did, which is the idea of how much are you willing to sacrifice to save other people. And everybody in this movie chooses wrong at different points. But, uh, yeah, it just doesn't inform the characters or the framing. It also doesn't do anything in a larger world context, which Ragnarok and Black Panther did. So that's what I mean by meaningful theme. And not it's not a movie about us, the viewer. Right. It's about big smashy smashy with everybody, which before, is fine. Before this movie was released, the Russos talked a big game about Thanos being the main character of this movie, and they were right. It's, they were. It doesn't really even feel like much of an Avengers movie at all. It is very much a movie about Thanos. The problem is that Thanos sucks. It's a waste. Oh, God. Okay. I'm, I'm ready to say that. 
I mm. did you know that bad and mean people have genuine feelings well, sometimes? Some people don't know that. Yeah, somehow. Did you yeah, know that's that? That's why The Witcher Three was. <laughs> yeah. Chris, she just shot on The Witcher Three. What? She said that's why The Witcher Three was so well reviewed. No. Oh, you picked the Crystal. wrong example. Everyone Crystal. stopped playing after the Bloody Baron because they couldn't finish it. No. You have no idea. Let's okay. pick another example. <laughs> okay. I won't shit on The Witcher. It's like um, God of War and Bioshock Infinite and The Last of Us. Okay. Well, we and can definitely. <laughs> We can definitely engage with that, especially with regards to the themes and characters of The Last of Us. Some people see Joel and like, yeah, get him, Joel. It's like, no, Joel's a monster. Joel's the worst. It's a great story, but Joel's the worst person, and you have to come away from the story knowing he's the worst person. Probably my favorite game that does that is Peace Walker, because Big Boss very clearly becomes evil in that game, but people just miss it because they love him too much. I, I just think it's really pointless to go into, you know, these genuine feelings of the enemy. A lot of people say Marvel villains are just one-dimensional cardboard cutouts and with no plot or explanation. Some of them are. Some Most of them are, and it's fine. It is absolutely fine. I don't really know or need to know why this person is doing a bad thing. Aside from the fact that they are. Okay. Um, and this allows the movies, this has allowed the movies to focus on the protagonists. That That's true. Um, just for our listeners in particular, Monica has a thing where she does not give a fuck about your villains. No. Period. Piss off. She doesn't need them. She kind of likes Ganondorf. I, can, I, I like villains for being villains. I don't need them to have a lot of... Well, not humanity. You like Wilson Fisk. Yeah, no, I like I like antagonists with humanity, but it's not also... It's not completely necessary. A bad guy can just be a bad guy. I'm... <laughs> the core problem is that you think Thanos is shit. Yeah. And you think most bad guys are shit. Yeah. And bad guys that you don't think are shit are pretty rare. Right. And But, like, bad guys that are shit don't need time... To show that they're actually okay sometimes and may do a nice thing for somebody or have a puppy that they don't kick. See, I, I, I thought that Thanos... I wouldn't call him the best character in the movie. Thor's the best character in the movie. At the same time that Thor is also the worst character in the movie for reasons that we'll get into a little bit later. Mm. But um, Thanos, I thought, was handled literally as well as he could have been handled in this context i mean brolin delivered a killer brolin was good brolin delivered a killer fucking performance considering the material he had to work with and i think that they did literally as much as they could have with thanos without doing what i think maybe they should have done and just putting a 15 minute short about his past at the beginning of the movie well if they really wanted to develop Thanos, they really should have taken time to show his relationship with Gamora. Yeah, they That's should've. what they could have done better, aside from the fact that you know clearly she has uh, some conflicted feelings about him, and clearly he does love her uh, in the way that he loves her. They did Gamora and Nebula dirty in this movie. They did my girls so fucking dirty. And it's like... And, do, that's not they killed gamora 
not for a very good reason. And I think that, like, just approaching it from the context of Thanos, it gets down to the problem with Thanos' characterization, which, you know, fine, but it also sort of misses the inherent misogyny of that framing, which is... I did, yeah, did not miss that at all. Yeah, I'm not saying you did, and I'm sure Crystal didn't either. But, but I mean, like, that argument, it being about Thanos, is like, no, we, we need to put that out there. Uh, what they did with Gamora in this movie fucking sucks. And, like... When I say that Thanos should have had a little bit more time, and when you say that Thanos should have had more time devoted to his relationship with Gamora, that should be to show how he relates to Gamora. Because Gamora has a few scenes where it's clear that she's really fucked up about Thanos. And it's like, wow, that's actually really interesting. That she has this attachment to this horrible, horrible genocidal maniac. But we don't see any of it. We don't see any of what made it like that. But I think that Gamora's position in the story allows her to sell her side of the connection a lot more. Right. If we had seen even, like, a few scenes, like, 15 minutes worth of scenes of Thanos actually raising Gamora, and we had seen some elements that betray that he has affections for this child that he's just abusing the fuck out of, I... Or that she had the capacity to hurt him emotionally, even when she was small. Then, yeah, you could almost buy it. If we thought that, not as Gamora as Thanos' daughter, because we buy that from Gamora and she says as much. But if we bought Thanos as Gamora's father, then I think the emotional payload of the movie would have been very different. It wouldn't have been less misogynistic, but it would have been different. It really wasn't a necessary angle, though. Oh, completely. They should have had death. No. (laughs) (laughs) I like the Red Skull being there and him recognizing that he's fundamentally incapable of love and therefore could never get the stone. God, I wanted the Red Skull to be the secret bad guy so badly, but then he showed up and... (laughs) You remember, I talked about this. Yes. I've long been pushing for the Red Skull to be the mentor of Thanos. Yes. It would have been so good. And this role... Is about halfway there, so I'm still mostly happy with it. But, oh, what would it have been like if, one, they had gotten Hugo Weaving back, and two, it was just a secret hard left turn where the Red Skull murders Thanos and then Hugo Weaving chews the scenery for 40 minutes? What if Thanos crushed Cap's head and said, Hail Hydra? See? That would have (laughs) really been something. But also, what if Death was in there as the villain? Does Death also do the double Nazi salute, or... No, Death is not a Nazi, but, I mean, okay. I mean... Thanos' motivation in this film is that he wants to kill half of the universe because overpopulation. Yes. Yeah. Which is dumb, and doesn't make sense. But if Death said that, it would, because she's she's Death. Does it? Yeah. Death's going to get hers regardless. Well, uh, maybe she wants 100%. Who knows? Neither of you actually read the comics, no. right? No. What about you, Crystal? I have. And it, Death says, hey, there's too much life, so kill half the universe for me. I think Thanos actually comes to that conclusion on his own, but he does say something along the lines of, there are more people alive now than who have ever died. That seems hard to believe. Well, aliens. 
No, I, I, I get it. Like, yeah, different. Even so, that's pretty hard to believe. That's really hard yeah, to believe. I know, it's really hard to believe. <laughs> Alien histories and their own backgrounds. Right, but I think part of the implication there was that over time, lots of societies are becoming effectively immortal. Mm, okay. Or something. Sure. Like, uh, th- th- one of the things about Thanos' relationship with death, which should not be in any movie, is that <laughs> death doesn't want Thanos at all. She has yeah. no interest in him. Until certain writers get a hold of her. And did y'all know that comics are actually very, very silly a lot of the time? Uh-huh. Yeah. That's why I don't read comics. I got you those uh, Black Panther novels by Todd Nehesi Coates. That's why I read some comics. Yeah. <laughs> Only some. Only some. But yes, back to Thanos' grand plan and motivation. It's stupid. Huh. There is no reason. This is not a sustainable plan. You kill off half the universe's population, they're just going to come back. People breed. Uh, and then in like 50 huh? years, you have an overpopulation problem again. Maybe 100. You know, yeah, he's going to, he's, he's He's devoting himself to snapping his fingers about once a century. Instead of snapping his fingers and making more resources. Making food. Oh. Or planets. Oh, this or, is... I don't know, for Or even just the more equitable distribution of resources. Sure. Or even just making it so people need less. Or changing it so that people don't read so often. I don't know. There's a lot of potential the, solutions yes! here. Yes! Like, yeah. It, it makes he's not no very sen- creative. And, and like, he's, he's made out to be somewhat rational about this, supposedly. But they didn't go far enough to say he's utterly bonkers. Like, that is the stupidest plan that you can only really go for if you are just zany. This is the most impassioned you've ever been on this podcast. Oh, well, okay. See, one of the things I like about Thanos loving death is that his motivations are so completely absurd, but he's powerful enough for that to still be a threat. So Taika Waititi's version of Thanos would worship death. Oh, Oh, if Taika Waititi directed this movie, that'd be a better movie. Well, yeah, probably, but I don't know if they would let him for a lot of reasons. They probably should have. Listen, I think that <laughs> the, the Infinity War is a movie that more than any other was shaped by this larger scope of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a corporate interest. Yeah. It is a crossover first and a story Third. But that's what's so disappointing because I love the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I've loved every every movie from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, even the not so great, great. ones. Yeah, they're all entertaining. Uh, yes. Monica and I, I leave generally pretty contented, even with the Hulk and um, even with Doctor Strange, which wasn't all that, but it's still, I liked it. Uh. Every one of them I've come out and I've gotten like, this is pretty good, or it, you know, or it was mind-blowingly great, like the last few. Oh, yeah. So, like, this is the first one I did not like. I'm not going to say that I hated it. Not like some people. <laughs> but I, I did not like it. And I can't sugarcoat that. This is the third movie in the MCU I would consider to be a bad film. Uh, the other two th- being Thor 1 and Guardians of the Galaxy 1. Really? Yes. A lot of wow. people don't like the... Well, a lot of people don't like Thor... But there is definitely a content a group that doesn't like the first Guardians either. Mm. I like the first Thor. 
It was hilariously Shakespearean, as directed by Mr. Shakespeare guy. Wasn't was that the first one or the second one that was directed by a first one? Oh, that's right. You're the MCU expert between the two of us. I shouldn't be asking these questions. Um, okay, uh, Crystal, I had a question. Uh huh. You mentioned that you thought the first hour of this movie is good. Now, yes. given how hard you end up coming down on the movie, I'm curious to know uh, what about the first hour got you enthused? Let's see. The first hour covers everything up to uh, somewhere around the time after Gamora was kidnapped and Thanos starts explaining his motivation. So we'll say that it stops around when Thanos is torturing Nebula. Sure, somewhere around there. Yeah, I don't know. It just felt like a good first half of a movie that's setting up character beats that presumably would be paid off in this movie. I like I like Doctor Strange. I like Tony. I like Spider-Man. I like the Hulk. I even like Scarlet Witch and the Vision. I thought they did a good job. Cam doesn't really... I thought they did not earn the uh, romantic weight that they tried to lend scarlet and the vision i thought they did good ah cute enough they were cute yeah they're cute but it's impossible to take this movie which is the marvel equivalent of the subspace emissary and somehow divorce it from the previous films they've only been dating like half a year or so they've been dating for two fucking years yeah two oh two years sorry and they're they're star-crossed lovers because they're on opposite sides of the accords it's romantic (laughs) i I thought it was cute but i mean aren't they both wanted now since vision's been off the grid for a while yeah but he's until two weeks ago he was still part of the accords avengers oh i see i think he was supposed to go back uh well okay i thought the first hour was okay but there wasn't enough cap and you know i love steve rogers and i'm not going to say that it kind of you know, dragged its feet because there wasn't enough Steve Rogers, but it did drag it totally, its feet. <laughs> it totally did because it didn't have enough Steve Rogers. Yeah, I guess the Russos just got tired of directing Captain America because him and Nat and Falcon and Bucky don't really have anything in this yeah, movie. Yeah, they just like suddenly appear, and I guess it's a cool entrance. But so many of the movies are great because they are grounded in Steve's, you know, genuine earnest self yeah and that it was the movie was missing that for the first portion it did come in at the worst possible time yeah and the worst possible implementation Mm um see the thing about the first hour of the movie to me is that it couldn't have turned out literally any other way given how long this movie was if it was five hours long we might be having a different conversation but the whole thing tried to cram in so many people so fast that comparing it to the subspace emissary feels wrong because the subspace emissary took time to breathe. What this is is a different kind of thing. You know how sometimes you read a crossover fanfic and it works so fast to introduce different characters that it feels like the writer's working under a word limit? Yeah. That's how this felt. Like, Tony and uh, Doctor Strange don't know each other at all. And they're both sitting at a bus stop, and then the bus stop goes by, and they look up, and uh, the Ebony Maw is in the bus, and he blasts them through the window, and they tackle him through the bus, and the bus explodes. And, uh, yeah. Wait, wait, where, where is this bus analogy coming from? 
That is your favorite Peter subspace. Parker was in the no, bus. no, they were on. That is your favorite bus subspace to emissary the camp. joke. I know. Oh, bus to the camp. Yeah. Um, that that's a crucial part. They're going to summer camp or what? whatever. I don't remember. some sort of a camp. Oh, we're never mind. It's more Smash Brother shit, Crystal. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's how it felt. It felt really disconnected and weird. And it's fine that they get all together like that. But there wasn't really time for the characters to go like, "Oh, hey, like, uh, who are you?" And they're like, "Oh, I'm me." And they literally did that. But you know, there, you, you never take a breath during this fucking movie. I think it's okay. It was as well as it could have been. I think Hemsworth really carried a lot of it on his shoulders, and he did great. But, um, I mean, I was prepared to see, like, 34 superheroes or whatever, and that was fine. I expected it was going to be busy, and it was busy. Can we talk about the actual opening scene of this movie for a second? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, this, they basically made Thor Thanos' arch enemy in this movie, which was an interesting choice. It's fine. And that is established early on by this scene, which I think probably goes on a little too long. But when you're going to give Thor such focus in the movie, I guess that makes sense. So the movie opens the exact spot that the post-credits of Thor Ragnarok really ends, which is Thanos' giant ship tearing the Asgardian uh, refugee vessel to pieces. When we see it, it is basically a space wreck, wreck and getting blasted with like ion cannons from Star Wars, I guess, because it's not causing more structural damage. And um, you hear this radio signal about how they're sending out an SOS. Was that Loki? Some fans on Tumblr said it was Loki. I have no I thought, idea. I didn't sound like Loki. I thought it was just some guy. Yeah, it just sounded like some guy to me. I'm sure it's like one part of the production crew who normally wouldn't get a speaking role. Hmm. But Korg. it should have been Korg. <laughs> I th- well, no, you can get continue. Oh, oh my oh, Jesus! I remember when they unceremoniously killed off Korg and Meek and Valkyrie? God damn it! I, <laughs> Are ooh, they dead? I'm getting to it. Uh, listen, no, okay. I, le- mm, mm, no, I know. We'll get to it. We'll get gonna... to it. Okay. I know. Please continue. I know. But okay. So we get through this whole thing. And the Children of Thanos, which is the new name that they've given to the order that serves under Thanos in the comics. I forget what they were called. The Black Order. The Black Order. God, that should be easier for me to remember. Jonathan Hickman has fucking naming problems, I tell you what. Um, So we see the Black Order just walking around uh, the interior of the Asgardian refugee ship. And the Ebony Maw, who is this really creepy preacher character is talking about how the Asgardians should be thankful and that they are now experiencing salvation. And as he's doing this, another member of the Order, I believe Corvius Glaive, named for the glaive that he carries around, is just walking around stabbing folks. And the first... No, no, that's not yet. That's not yet. And... We get to this whole thing where it's like we see that Thor's been have the shit beat out of him, which, fine, he was in really rough shape after the fight with Hela, and everybody's defeated, and Loki's standing there with the Black Order, and Thanos is like, okay, now we've all done the thing. Give me the Tesseract right now. And this is the count one where it's like, 
Let's give Thanos the Tesseract or else a person will die. Okay, well, I definitely should give Thanos the Infinity Stone. Okay, now... Count one. We're going to start counting. Okay, yes, we will count this. I will say, though, that Loki in this scene feels more justified in it than oh, yeah, any other absolutely. character. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's... That this is one. This was not a problem at the time that Loki was doing it this is for a, us viewers. This is a Loki scene. This is right. Loki uh, loves his brother. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, he loves his brother. He hands it over, and he fully intends to cut Thanos's throat after. Great. I like the religious weight that Ebony Ma's little speech gives to Thanos, and I wish there was a little more of that from Thanos himself. Um. You might really enjoy Jonathan Hickman's run on the Avengers in that case, because he writes a really good version of the Ebony Maw, which makes sense because he invented the Ebony Maw. And yeah, I, I could sort of see that, but Thanos is much more... Uh, we get to this part where Thanos is like, okay, give me the stone and give it to me now. And Loki's like, okay, I tell you what, I'll give it to you if you spare my brother. And... Thanos is like, boy, you, sure. And Loki hands it over. And Thor is like, I don't understand why you have that on you and you're the worst. Yeah, I love this line because he pretends, as far as Thor is concerned, the Tesseract was destroyed on Asgard and Loki pretends like he doesn't have it. Then he de-illusions it and Thor's just, God, you're the worst. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, that's a very, uh, it's actually a very Taika Waititi line. And this is the beginning of that particular trend throughout the rest of the movie in that the... Did the Russos write the script for this? Uh, it was uh, Marcus and McFeely, I believe, who wrote the whole Captain America trilogy and Thor the Dark World. Okay, so uh, Marcus and McFeely seem to be trying to take notes from Thor Ragnarok and how they write the dialogue in Thor's scenes. Yeah, there's some really good quips. There's not... It's not, not just... Not quips, but, but like sort of like Taika feeling jokes sort of yeah it feels like somebody trying to write jokes in his style yeah it's a fairly quippy film yeah i mean it has to be because it's sort of like the it's like the uh, concentrated form of what a marvel film is sort of and Ugh. i mean it, that's what it is it's like the fan the bad parts it's the fanfic form of a marvel movie i I don't usually feel the criticisms people have of, oh, these characters are too quippy, but I kind of felt it in this one, mostly because a lot of characters didn't have time to also have real arcs. Yep. So, anyway, um, Loki hands over the thing, and then he tries to stab Thanos, and Thanos just, like, chokes him to death, and then breaks his neck. What exactly yep. was Loki's plan here? Stabbing him. It was a very, very bad it was an attempt, and maybe that was the best attempt he could muster, but that was very uh, thinly. Yeah, that was never good. It was a total failure. Now, see, what I thought was going to happen in this sequence, and pay off later in the movie, was that Loki played a trick and handed over a fake Infinity Stone. Because we never see Thanos do anything with the Space Stone for the first half of the movie. That would have been fun. And then Loki appears at the end like, Ah, I gotcha! And it's like, ah, Loki. And then Loki would, of course, get his ass whipped and Thanos gets the stone anyway. But, you know, we get that payoff where Loki still did a Loki thing. That's not what happens here. Loki gets, um, like, we've made jokes about Loki getting shit on really hard in Ragnarok. But he gets stomped on in this one. It was a nice moment of gravitas, sort of. But 
anyway, it's a, so... Before Loki's death, he says... I don't remember the exact back and forth, but he says the line, we have a Hulk, and the Hulk appears, but he gets beaten up. Right. Right. I'm sorry. And then Heimdall summons dark magics to summon a Bifrost to send the Hulk to Earth. Yes, he manages to send the Hulk to Earth with the Bifrost, and is it Corvius Glaive or Thanos who says that's a mistake? Thanos. Thanos says it, and then Corvius Glaive kills Heimdall, and Heimdall is the first on-screen death of a main character. And I know that it's kind of a cliche to react this way, but I'm like, did you really just kill the fucking black guy in this scene first? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a theme that will continue. It actually does continue. Um, so, and then Loki gets killed. And then um, we pull back as Thanos' people leave, and the ship explodes. Yeah, this seems to suggest that all of the Asgardians are dead. Later, well, there's a comment Thor that- suggests later. That half of his people were killed. As if the I've ship heard, did not explode. I've heard differing perspectives about this. Like, some people have said, well, Thanos killed half of his people because Hela had just killed the other half. No, that... No. I, I don't really think that one... I feel like no. they may have evacuated half of the ship. And done what? Sent them away before Thanos. And... Uh, wait, how? The ship was blown apart. Like, it was completely disabled. No, like... <coughs> do you need to take a moment? No, I'm fine. When, before Thanos takes over, like, in a 30-second difference between Ragnarok and um, Infinity War, they sent some mini shuttles out. I don't know. Like, what? You just think they put everybody on the on the Grandmaster's sex yacht and send them flying off into space? Sure. If and that could be where Valkyrie is. Don't you think that Thor would have gone to check on them? Yeah, I don't... It's not a that very he, good That he would have even mentioned it? Um... That he would actually, have gone... after some point, he could have... I mean, he wouldn't have because he's out to just kill Thanos. No, no, no. Just go, hey, uh, morons, let me use your radio for a second. Yeah, I guess. They're dead. I don't... Uh, All the Asgardians, maybe? Tessa Thompson, no, Taika Watiti himself died in that explosion, if he didn't die already. Okay, the other thing that I've heard people say is that Thanos, like, divided the ship and only blew up half of the ship. Why? And Thor doesn't Which is know where the other half is. an absurd thing to do, because Hela just killed half the Asgardians. Yeah, you'd think that he'd factor that into his math, but, you know. Like, come on. That... Do we call that a plot hole uh, where Th- where no. Thor says that half of his people are still alive? I it's definitely weirdly lingering and it lingered on my mind. Crystal, what do you think happened? Yeah, I think you probably did the half ship thing. Okay. Yeah, I'm okay with the half ship thing. There's no fucking way. He's <laughs> shaking his head. It just ain't what happened. They're all fucking dead. I'm I'm not going to say that. Well, it doesn't matter because the deaths don't matter. Yeah. Oh, me and, me and my brother actually have a running bet about this that uh, maybe we'll talk about at the end of the movie. Um, okay. So this is also the beginning of one of the movie's worst sins, which is completely sandbagging literally everything about Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. Like, Thor is now king to a refugee people. And he's going to go to Earth, and that is 
maybe the most compelling possible setup for that character going forward, they're gone. His advisors, gone. All the side characters we care about, gone. The hammer, the no hammer and the eye thing. We'll get to it. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't uh, have to be chronological. <laughs> no, I think it. the way this movie is structured, there's a couple running plot lines that they sometimes take a long time to get back to between. Yeah. So it might uh, do us good to tackle them separately. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so the no eyeball thing is <laughs> turned into, oh, he has two eyes. Well, the, the Guardians of the Galaxy show up. We're going to call this the Thor through line here. Sure. The Guardians of the Galaxy respond to the distress signal put out by the Asgardian ship. And for some reason, Peter Quill is talking about how important it is that they get a reward. As if he didn't have multiple character moments in the first two Guardian movies, which say he shouldn't really be doing that. I kind of feel like he was playing it off as I'm one of the cool guys and then, oh, no, I'm not actually one of the cool guys. I'm nice. And then, no, I'm one of the cool guys. So Star-Lord sucks in this movie. Star-Lord is an asshole in this one. He does uh, what uh, Peyton called a Hall of Famer movie fuck up. Yeah. But we'll get back to him. He's part of a different timeline. Uh, anyway. Different timeline. Different timeline. <laughs> <laughs> so... Then they run into Thor. Yeah. Who's and, and this is my favorite scene, I guess. Yeah, they've been listening to... Uh, it's like, okay, guys, we know that everyone thinks that Chris Hemsworth is hot. Though we finished writing the script before Black Panther came out, so there's a lot that we can't address in the same way. Um, everyone thinks Chris Hemsworth is hot, so all the Guardians also think he's very hot. Like a pirate had a baby with an angel? Like a pirate had a baby with an angel. This is not a dude. This is a man. <laughs> His muscles are like steel cable. Yeah, they, I, I do like that a lot. Yeah, I know. Uh-huh. Because we would be the same way if we found Chris Hemsworth floating in space. In, in a non-creepy way, hopefully. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, if we found Thor floating in space, Chris Hemsworth is a real person with dignity. Thor is a fictional character. Oh, yeah. So then... Uh... Then uh, they have a short conversation. Oh, the other really decent joke in this scene is the one where um, Peter Quill gets his hackles up. The whole bit where he's trying to posture in front of Thor actually really sucks. And it made me cringe the whole way through. But the bit where it's said to Thor that Gamora is Thanos's daughter and the whole crew gets ready for what might be a knockdown drag out fight and Thor walks over to her all solemn and shit and goes I feel you <laughs> family's nice. really complicated isn't it and they just commiserate about bad family <laughs> yeah it was really cute is this also where um Thor points out that he knows how to speak I am Groot no that's no? later oh, okay sorry uh, that's okay. It's a good. It's. I don't know if it's a good joke, but it's a joke. Yeah, I think I it was like fantastic. Particularly some of these guardian scenes go on a bit long. It felt like, honestly, this could have just been a guardians movie that had Thor in it. Yeah. In fact, that would have been really good. Yeah. Sure. Because what really would we have lost out on? The scenes that we liked the least. Wait, no, no, wrong, no. No, we would have said stood to benefit. No, we gotta keep we gotta keep Gamora alive in our version of the movie. That's fine. Oh, we would have had we time to have Gamora stay alive. Yeah, we could have time to give Thanos a different fucking motivation. 
Yeah. Uh, or change the mind stone or soul stone thing. Uh, I'm going to mix up these names all the... Yeah. Monica doesn't care about the Infinity Gems, just to be clear. Is there the Infinity Rocks, Cameron? I'm sorry. Monica <laughs> doesn't care about the Infinity Rocks, just to be clear. Plot device rocks. MacGuffin rocks. They're fine. They're rainbow colored. I like that. These are actually MacGuffins, though. Wait, no. MacGuffins are important for reasons that aren't clear. These are important because they turn you into God. They also do have individual powers. Yeah, sure. They also aren't all-powerful and can be broken. Let's, yeah. Get to that later. (laughs) No, I I mean, that comes at the end of this timeline, basically. We're going to go over the final scene like four different fucking times. Okay. Well, okay, let's advance the plot. (laughs) Okay. So Thor says Thanos is looking for the Infinity Stones. He says two of them are safe on Earth. Now, he knows Vision. I guess he recognized the Time Stone when he met Doctor Strange. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. And he knows Thanos has two. No one's ever seen the Soul Stone, so Thanos probably can't find it either. And Gamora gives a mysterious look. Dun, dun, dun. And, uh, and the Reality Stone is on nowhere. But he doesn't want to go searching for it. He wants to go to... Oh, what's that place called? I actually do not remember the name of the Realm of the Dwarves. <sighs> Nids Nid I do remember there was an R in it, so at the end. But, yeah. Veer. It was very I like It was a very Veer. cool, very cool name that and even though they wrote it across the screen, didn't get used enough for me to remember. Yeah. Thor wants to go to Nidavellir to make a super weapon that can kill Thanos. And Rocket wants to go too, and Groot goes with him because he's Rocket's buddy. Yeah. Yes. And Groot, this whole movie is just constantly playing a Game Boy. Yeah, it's not even like a good Game Boy. It's a Game Boy that only has the like sad LCD version of what was it, Space Invaders? Probably. Yeah, it's a little. Uh, yeah, Groot doesn't do shit in this movie. No, not really. He does us uh, one specific thing. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think that like this is mostly a Thor and Guardians picture in a lot of ways. Uh, those. There's like four characters, I would say, get any real screen time in this movie. And two of them are in the Thor and Guardians package. But Groot gets the least screen time and least attention of any of the Guardians, which is really weird because I would assume that he's one of the most popular. They tried to play him as a surly teenager. Well, no, what happened is the script writers, we know who the script writers are. They are dads. And they wrote a script about a sad dad. And here now is their surly teenager child. <laughs> okay. With the surly teenager gigs. Ugh. And that's what Groot is. That surly teen Groot grew up so fast in the post credit scene for Guardians 2 that I was really glad that by the time we got around to his next appearance, he would undoubtedly just be regular old Groot again. You got well, your the post-credit scene didn't take place immediately after. Yeah, but... I didn't assume that it took place two years after. It's been four years, actually. Okay. Well, I don't know what you want me to say. I want you to talk to me about Itri, the king of the dwarfs. Oh, dear. Must? So, uh, okay. So, yeah, there's a huge, huge um, block of other stuff that happens before this part. Like what? We're following Thor. No, I know, I know, but I'm just saying that, no, it cuts to everybody else for the longest time. Yeah. Before it gets back to Thor. But when we get back to Thor, 
we realized that whoever was doing the casting said, you know what would be really funny? Oh, do you think it was that? Yes. That kind of motivation? Do you know what would be really funny if we casted Peter Dinklage, a little person, as this dwarf character? And then made him really big. And then made him really big. Because dwarves aren't actually small in Norse mythology. That part of the depiction doesn't bother me. But holy shit, I am tired of Hollywood shitting on Peter Dinklage. Please give him a role that doesn't involve his 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 little person status. This is, doesn't have to he be a, It doesn't have to be a meta joke about the fact that he's small. Like, good God. Yeah, it's terrible. Oh, I didn't like that casting very much. I would have preferred Peter Dinklage as Thanos almost. Actually, not almost. He would have been way better. Like, better to have him as Thanos than as playing a literal magical dwarf. Yeah, because, you know. Brolin did a good job, but (sighs) God, give Dinklage a role. Make him the Ebony Maw. Sure, yes. At least he wasn't Pip the Troll. Which one's Pip the Troll? He was in. Well, he wasn't in Gauntlet, but he was in the sequels to Infinity Gauntlet. Oh yeah! Oh Jesus! Oh, people thought that he might actually play Pip. That's right. Oh, that's horrible. What if Peter Dinklage was Death? <laughs> you mean like Death, or do you mean like the Death that for some reason has breasts that you wanted in the movie? Well, Death is a shapeshifter. Okay, granted. Oh. Hey, you know what? That could be all right. I don't know enough to say. Peter Dinklage as the avatar of all death would probably still be pretty cool. Peter Dinklage as Mephisto. Also pretty good. There, The movie is full of CG characters. There's no reason to have Peter Dinklage play an actual dwarf. And maybe he likes the role. I don't know. I'm not going to fight on behalf of Peter Dinklage. I, I feel like he kind of slept walk through his lines. I don't blame him. Oh, God. I don't blame him for that in the least, but the way he said some of his lines made me think of that joke, that Destiny joke about the something came from the moon or whatever. Yeah. I never played Destiny. I just... That wizard came from the moon. Yes. A few of the lines kind of felt like it was delivered like that. You gotta They spent a lot of time in this movie focusing on the creation of Stormbreaker, considering how inconsequential it ultimately is. Yeah. It's simultaneously, like, as someone who reads comics, you look at it and you go, that is by far, like, Thor carrying Stormbreaker is the most terrifying person in the setting, and yet it ultimately doesn't end up mattering. Now, it'll end up mattering in, like, the second movie, maybe. That is a recurring theme. Maybe this will end up happening in the second movie, maybe. Maybe they'll resolve this arc in the second movie, maybe. Because maybe it'll end up being so that Infinity War and whatever they're going to end up calling the sequel should be watched together as one five-hour picture. And I would believe that. And people yeah, I would will like do that. It. But the last time someone asked me to do that, we got The Matrix Revolutions. Oof. That's a bit much. So they get there. And Peter Dinklage is playing a giant dwarf. And it turns out that Thanos killed all the other dwarves and got Peter Dinklage to make the Infinity Gauntlet. And then he took away his hands. The timeline on this is a little confusing to me. Presumably this happened sometime while Loki was king and neglecting his duties. But I guess Thor didn't notice it either. Didn't Thanos have the gauntlet in one of the um, 
surprise ending teaser thing. He had it in the post credits of Age of Ultron. Yeah, and was I don't keep track of the movies in their order. So, did was Loki already king at that point? Yes, he was king at that point. Okay. So it seems to have happened before that, though. Yeah, it just feels like if an entire realm was wiped out, Thor would have heard about it. But 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 here's the thing: is that like. The Dwarf King actually says Asgard was supposed to protect us, and Thor says Asgard was destroyed. And that line implies that this must have happened in the past two weeks. But he definitely hmm. had the gauntlet. So maybe that post credit scene was set three years later. Maybe. Uh, okay. I mean, why not, really? It's, I mean, thinking if, lo- if Thanos was going logically which I really can't attribute to him, then, you know, a sudden deciding to have all of his pieces of his plan executed at the same time is great. And he gets all the Infinity Stones in the span of a week, so okay, maybe the gauntlet thing too. Yep. But then when Hela knocks over the fake gauntlet, her calling it fake would imply that there is a real one out there. Uh, I got nothing. (laughs) Maybe the gauntlet was theorized to be a thing, you know. A possible thing? Yeah, like Excalibur, actually, the concept of Excalibur before Excalibur was made. Oh, so it's like this particular design already existed. It's just that that gauntlet was not actually made by the dwarves. That's why Odin had a, a replica of what this theoretical device might look like. Exactly Thanos's uh, glove size. Yeah, it's just uh, it's like those guys who get um, miniature versions of atomic bombs built and put them on their desk. That's Odin. What? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. But uh, Why anyway, didn't he kill half the dwarves. No, he killed all the dwarves. Yeah, that didn't make much sense. Three hundred were there, and he killed two hundred and ninety-nine of them. Is this the smallest of the realms in terms of? Wait, pop- the- oh fuck. The smallest of the realms is a dwarf realm. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Maybe... I mean, you're not wrong. Maybe what happened is... Well, this is one planet, though, right? It's not the entire realm that he slew, I mean, it's not even a planet. It's just like a space station. Yeah, so maybe he spared the rest of the dwarves in that realm. He just... Well, as Crystal and I talked about in the Ragnarok episode, what constitutes a realm is really murky. Okay, but I mean, maybe there's a second space station elsewhere, and he didn't didn't kill anyone on that one. Maybe there's more okay. dwarves somewhere. This is really very Two Face. I feel. What you mean? Thanos is Two Face. He has to do like two things and then reverse sided coin thing. What? Like, he has to kill these people and not those people. These twos. That isn't what Two-Faced means. No, Two-Faced the character. Oh! Batman. And he eats the peas and he throws the carrots in the garbage. (laughs) (laughs) So he... he, You've got... Thanos is wearing a helmet that covers half his fucking face. And he's just (laughs) flipping the coin. And on one side of the coin is death... And on the other side of coin is death, but he scratched her out. <laughs> he yes. just flips in the fucking coin. Yes, he's I... two-faced. Okay, I'm sorry. I thought you said he's two-faced. Duh. As in, like, he's duplicitous. Uh, <laughs> I, I... Because this was a duplicitous thing where he kills all the dwarves. 
Yeah, but he earnestly believes in this this half of the population thing. Yes. But it's also an interesting thing that he did kill all the dwarves because it does imply that he thinks that they can create instruments that would be a threat to him on his journey. Or he's bad at math. <laughs> he can't. He, he, you're thinking that he had the Black Order divide the dwarves into two parts, <laughs> and on one side of the room, it's Peter Dinklage, and on the other side of the room, it's 299 other guys, and <laughs> they're just like, okay, do it. Yeah. And all the Black Order's just staring at each other like, what does he fucking want us to do? And he's like, D- do it! <laughs> and they just turn around, and they shoot the bigger crowd, and he's like, good job, guys. Let's get out of here. Oh no, what if the other dwarves were like, like, conceptually like smaller dwarves? Oh no. <laughs> so mass one. So 299 regular dwarves is equal to one king dwarf. Well, that's why he's the king. Oh, because he's not the smallest. This is terrible. But, but making Peter Dinklage a dwarf is also terrible. So yeah. I just, um, anyway... We can make fun of this as much oh, as we want. Okay, so... But yeah, they're like... Between the dwarf thing and the th- the Thor... This guardian thing... Like, there's so many little things in this movie that just... Don't really make sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, we're not gonna, like, um... Cinema sends it or some horrible thing like that. But, you know, we do go on. Especially when we think it's funny to do so. Yeah, like, I don't want to be a nitpicker, but... It adds up. It does. The The weight of this story trying to bring together so many disparate scripts into one cohesive narrative is uh, too much for it to bear, I think. Um, anyway. Yeah. Thor is like, okay, listen, um, I know you don't have any hands. Uh, I don't need your hands. I need your forge. And we're going to make a weapon, you and I, together, that's going to kill Thanos. I guess it was already molded, like... They were Yeah, they had a mold already. They had a plan. Otherwise they would have needed hands. Yeah, they have well, I mean, like, you could have just tell Thor how to do it. I, I guess. guess. I don't know. Well, I mean the skill in crafting. Yeah, those Whatever. are really important. <laughs> anyway. I, I don't even understand why the hands thing uh, anyway. So they have to restart the heart of a dying star. Yes. Which means they have because the rings don't work right. So Thor has to swing rocket ship around and get them going again. Did you guys think that the the rings around the sun thing, it was just the Game of Thrones <laughs> intro? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even make that connection. It was totally the Game of Thrones sun. Oh. Yeah, I just, I don't know what to think about that, but it was there. Oh, it super was. Yep. I didn't notice. I, did, I was just thinking of like uh, planetariums and shit. Nope. Oh, I guess you were the galaxy brain watching this movie. <laughs> um, and then the the rings are stuck, so then Thor has to hold it open. You're skipping a little Sorry, bit. Sorry, he, he, did we? It's a neutron star that he restarts. And the neutron star fires off this unbelievable amount of energy into the forge, which starts to heat up. The Uru metal, this unbreakable super ultra metal that absolutely cannot be destroyed unless you're Hela. And um, the iris, which focuses the power, falls shut because it's damaged. And 
the Dwarf King is like, uh, listen, we've got to figure out a way to get this open or we can't heat it up and we won't be able to make this axe. And Thor's like, okay, um, I'll hold it open. And the guy says, listen, that's nonsense. You are literally being blasted with the concentrated power of an entire neutron star. You will die. We established, therefore, that Thor can withstand the blast of a sun. Not just the blast. If you took all the power of a star and focused it into a laser beam about as big around as a person and pointed it at him, he would live through it for several minutes. You know what was disappointing about this scene? Uh... <laughs> you know what was disappointment? Okay. So in Winter Soldier... Oh my god, we skipped something. Okay, no, go on. In Winter yeah. Soldier... Cap has to hold down a helicopter, and it is a wonderful moment because Chris Evans gets to flex in a too tight t-shirt in front of the screen. And in this one, similarly, Chris Hemsworth flexes to keep this iris thing open, but it's not as sexy. Um, it's possibly because he's on fire while he's doing it. I know, that was, there's that, but also it's not a very sexy flex. Well, he's not, well, it's not even just that. If he had been wearing a t-shirt, that flex would have been way sexier. Yeah. So that's my that's- issue with this scene, where he gets this laser blast from a neutron star. It should have burnt his clothes off. Yeah. It should have burned totally. his clothes off. Thank you, Crystal. It also probably should have shorted out his artificial eye. Yeah. yeah. We skipped over the scene. Where Rocket gives him an eye, and also Thor has a close-up where he very tearfully describes everything that he's lost. That was a good scene. It was actually pretty good. That that, that is, This movie has an absolute uh, drought when it comes to quiet moments, but it had that, and it worked very well. And Hemsworth can act. Hemsworth can act. He's Not just the comedy stuff no i mean he's he's proved it more than once yeah hemsworth can act and um that eye just getting put right back into his head was the second part of just completely shitting on thor ragnarok yes because him losing that eye is important and the eye is symbolic yeah the eye is different so they would have to do cg or whatever to it anyway Instead of him just wearing an eye patch. Right. So why not just keep the eye patch? There's no good reason to give him a false eye, except to reset the status quo. Yeah, that's stupid. Well, I'm not too thrilled about it myself, and I don't imagine that Crystal is either. Uh, I don't think it bothered me as much as you, but it is a lame thing. Unless the fact of Thor having depth perception is essential to defeating Thanos. It's not. How do you know? (laughs) Anyway, so it's not so much that the eye thing by itself is just this horrible, horrible thing. It's just one piece of the puzzle, right? It's just one way in which they break away from the themes and the character growth that made Thor Ragnarok so great in part. Yes. Like, Thor's a very different person coming out of that movie, and... By the end of Infinity War, he's a lot closer to being the way that he was at the start of Ragnarok. Yes. Visually and 
thematically in a lot of ways because he doesn't have his people he has his eye back yeah we'll finish making the weapon here so he takes this big laser blast that is essentially a star trying to kill him long enough to melt the uru metal and it goes into the mold and it makes the axe and thor collapses and he's dying and the dwarf king runs around like where is that damn handle and groot gets up and he does one thing in this movie and it's make the handle for the axe stormbreaker yep and then he gives it to Thor, I'm assuming, because somehow Stormbreaker's going to heal Thor. Well, yeah, the same thing happened in the first Thor movie. Oh, is that what happened? Yeah, when he was basically killed by the Destroyer, but then he got the hammer back. I haven't watched Thor, the first one, in something like five years. So I... Oh, God, longer? Maybe? No, it can't be that much longer. The movie hasn't been out for that long. But it... Um, it's been a bit, so I, I forgot that part. So that's a pretty decent callback, I guess. Uh, yeah, Itri mentions that the Stormbreaker also has the power to summon the Bifrost, and that has, is how Thor will much later get back to Earth. Well, much later being five seconds later on the Thor timeline. Yeah. Yes. But this is essentially the end of this timeline before the timelines all cross over. Okay, we're getting timeline convergence, but we've reached the end of the Thor story. Okay. So where do we want to go next? Uh, Wanda and Vision? We could do the Guardians. Oh, okay. Well, wait, the yeah, Guardians. Okay. Um, maybe Wanda and the Vision is... No, let's, let, let, let's, do, let's do Tony Stark. Yeah. Because So Bruce Banner uh, appears in the skies over New York, and he crashes into the Sanctum Santor- Sanctorum which is presumably where Heimdall aimed because he knows Doctor Strange is there because he knows everything. And they just totally shanked Heimdall, but I, I really appreciated Heimdall as a character having the foresight and sight, I guess, to to do that. Yeah. Uh, Doctor Strange and Wong are having a funny little quippy conversation about how Wong doesn't have any money to buy a sandwich. And then Banner crashes in and he says... Thanos is coming, and Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange says to the camera, "Who?" and the title drops. Yep. Yep. And then we go to Tony. Yeah, he's in the park with Pepper, and they're talking about getting married, getting babies, and how Tony will not do any more superhero thing because superheroing is bad. Yeah, they needed to have the scene so it would be more tragic when Tony dies. He's two days away from retirement. He is actually like just about to retire and um here's the thing i do buy that he has to stop both because he's traumatized and so he can pursue his actual life but one of the real sources for nobility of tony's character is that he is willing to fight past his fear and what he wants for himself because he has to protect people and trying to turn that into a moral negative really makes it hard to identify with Pepper in this movie. And I think probably she should have been written a little bit differently once the Death Aliens showed up. Yeah, like, Civil War almost framed Tony as an addict, which I think you you can do that when there aren't literally aliens invading. That is the time when you need Iron Man. Yeah, it's like, uh, we should do a conversation about the Accords. Because you can sign up for the Accords, because they stop mattering the instant Thanos shows up. It's like, no, 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 no. No No more Accords. 
It's like, you'll be under arrest. Fine. Um, if we lose, you're all dead anyway, so I don't care. They handle the Accords very well in this one. Yes, for as far as they do handle it. Yeah. Ugh. Fucking Civil War. I hate that story so much. I like the movie, but the story it's based on is so stupid, and having to adapt it is one of the worst things about the MCU. They did a very good job. Yes. That's so Dr. Strange <laughs> shows up in the portal, and this starts a long uh, subplot of enmity between Dr. Strange and Tony, because they're both wisecracking smart people. With facial hair. Yeah, they got the facial hair. They're both scientists. I do like One's that. One's a wizard, too. I do like that line, unlike everyone else in your life, I don't work for you. That's a good line. <laughs> That's a good line. Um, so yeah, Banner also shows up in the portal. He's like, Tony, we have to talk. And then they're back in the Sanctum Sanctorum, and Wong explains what the Infinity Stones are for the audience. Thank you, Wong. Yeah, Monica had forgotten. Well, yeah, I if you haven't seen Thor The Dark World or Guardians of the Galaxy or, or Age of Ultron or Doctor Strange, this is this is your chance. <laughs> I forgot the color and power. Like what they what yeah. they do. Yes. Though in fairness, their names often don't mean anything. Right. No, I don't even remember their names. I don't remember their the ability matched with the color matched with the other fancy names. So yeah. I still don't. Hey, can I just it's say okay. I am so glad that the soul rock was not in Wakanda. Yes. Yeah. Holy shit. Man, that would have been... If if it had been, I would have been madder about this movie than anyone. Yeah. The next worst one was the idea that it was in Heimdall's eyes. That also would have been real bad, yeah. Huh. And weird. <laughs> so, 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 so they... They start Tony's planning. Tony's back hurts and he leans against the pot of special magic. <laughs> and Doctor Strange says, are you seriously leaning on the pot of special magic? And this cape whips him. I love Doctor Strange's cape. Tony's like, I'm going to love it. carpet from Aladdin. Yeah, it's just the same character. It is the same character. It's in canon. Yeah. And they insist that Tony has to uh, text or call. Find the vision. Yeah, ca- call Cap. The but so that Cap can find the vision. Right. And Tony goes, eh. Man, you know, I've got all these thoughts about things. He broke I out, Bruce. Like a boy band? <laughs> Like the Beatles? Ugh, yeah. Before Tony Stark can make the call, though, there's a mysterious rumble outside. Can, 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 I think that I almost, would, no, we're, we're past, like, I almost want to point this out as being one of the stupidest character moments in the movie. It Cause, is. Because it's like, listen, Tony, a universal cosmic destroyer is going to show up and destroy everything. I, Bruce Banner, who has experience with this sort of thing, am saying this. Thor's dead, and this guy did it. And Tony's just like, mm, oh, I don't know if I should. Mm, I, I just have all these uh, bad machismo feelings about how I talked to Steve last. It, it also doesn't make sense because, well, that's the impression I got from uh, Civil War. Like, that, that letter that Steve sent... To Tony, it was like they basically mended. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think you're underselling how awkward it can be to get back in touch with your ex. But they weren't exes. They had they didn't even really conflict with each other ideologically. Aside from the you know your friend killed my parents when he was brainwashed. The the, the ending sequence of Civil War does kind of lend the idea 
that, yeah, they're basically all right with each other, even if they are on opposite sides. Yeah. And this completely walks that back. It's weird. And also, come on, Tony's very, very, very uh, not smart in this scene. Yeah. Well, it's not like he's absolutely refusing to. He's just hesitating for a couple seconds. It's he, very he's, puzzling. He stares at that phone for 30 seconds straight, and three different people tell him to make the call, and he still fails to make the call. Bruce. No, come on. You're begs- <laughs> Am I? In a movie where there's so little time, like every second counts, and the, the pause, even if it was a limited pause by other movies, like it meant a lot in this one. We're talking about representative time. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's very few quiet moments in this movie, like we mentioned, and one of them is Tony staring at this fucking phone. Especially because with Tony, like, I'd expect him to go like, yep, time to call this jerk one. <laughs> It's like, hey, asshole, we got a problem. You know, Mr. Mr. Hey, stars and bars. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Fucking Tony. Um, Stuff is happening outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us, Crystal. Crystal? Uh, Yeah, so this begins, I guess, what would be, I think I consider this probably the best done sequence in the movie. Uh, Tony walking outside and the camera following him and then looking at the ship. And then Spider-Man shows up and the Squidward fight. Um, yeah, it's a really cool fight. I think that I have a different pick for best action sequence, but it's on this timeline, so we'll end up talking about it. <laughs> it's the strangest thing, but um, the the feelings that I got with this scene where you don't quite see what is going on, but people are kind of fleeing and, and shit is going on. With the stuff that happened in Toronto recently, I, I somehow my mind flashed over to that. Uh, uh. Yeah, yeah. we had um, this guy in a van hit uh, a lot of pedestrians, and this just happened a couple of days ago, so I guess it's fresh on my mind, but it was really weird to just be watching a superhero movie and then getting that sort of injected in and going, huh, this has nothing to do with the movie, sorry. That's okay. Yeah, there's an, the post credit scene also kind of has the same feeling. Hmm. How do you mean? Yeah. Oh, that one, yep, okay, yeah. yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So it is It is just one of those weird life interjecting when you want to. But that's about our experience. Yeah. More than the movie. So it is a cool sequence, though. Um, we have this, like, big fight between the super powerful psychic Ebony Maw versus uh, Doctor Strange. And they seem to have similar levels of power, but he's way more experienced in a fight than Strange is and way more aggressive. Yeah. Wong gets to have a cool moment here before he pieces out of the movie. Yeah. He cuts a dude's head off with a portal. Yeah. That was really cool. Good job. He could have closed it sooner, but that that was a great timing. I think he waited that long on purpose. Yeah, no, no. I thought he he did too. Honestly, I would have waited longer. Get more of the arm. (laughs) Yeah, and Banner, Tony keeps trying to ask Banner to transform to the Hulk, but he can't. Yes, this is the the start of a very long and unfinished arc of... Uh-huh, it sure is. <laughs> this is a one that will probably have payoff in the second movie. Now, do you think that the Hulk didn't want to come out because he was embarrassed that he lost? Yes. I would assume scared. L- scared or embarrassed. Or yes. still hurt. Or still hurt. Hmm. What's your read? Yeah, some combination of all of that. He is still a child. Yeah, he's only like three now. I don't want to come out. I'm scared. 
Why do you always call on me to fight these scary things that beat the shit out of me? And the last one actually did. That dog was real bad. And then there was the big fireman. You wouldn't even let me fight the fireman. And now I got fight this guy about my size. And he just beats my ass up and down a spaceship. And then it was real bad. Hulk have baby arms. What? Hulk have baby arms. Did he say something like that in Ragnarok? He said Thor had baby arms. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah. Do you think he was embarrassed that he's not the strongest one there is? Yeah, I think that's definitely an aspect of it. That definitely recalled uh, our conversation about Hulk versus Thor in Ragnarok, where Hulk is strongest one there is. And that was actually a really well done sequence where Thanos just takes Hulk to pieces because Thanos is as much better at fighting compared to the Hulk as Thor is, but he's also as strong as Hulk, apparently. Well, he's yeah. got the power stone. I could actually follow that fight. I don't usually. It was like a I'm boxing style fight. Yeah, and I saw like Thanos like hit like his kidney in the back or something. Yeah, and it was great. It was, it was like this. It was because they're really huge cartoon figures with these exaggerated features that make them really easy to follow, and the camera stays on them relatively steadily throughout the whole thing, giving you a real good view of every shot. The fight scene was shot well. Yeah. It was really clear, which isn't something you usually get in fights like this. Usually they would bring it in all close and nasty just to give you a sense of frenetic energy. Or it's a CGI mess. Yeah. This one was good. Anyway, Hulk don't want to come out and everything bad. And Spider-Man shows up and we once again see that Peter Parker is ludicrously strong for his size. Because he takes some direct shots from the really big member of the Black Order who's like a Hulk equivalent. And he just catches them with his hand. He's like, wow, this is really bananas. I tell you what, guys. Yeah, let's talk about Peter Parker on the bus a little bit. Okay. That's where the Stanley cameo happens. They got that out of the way. I'm glad. It was a good one. So everyone's freaking out in the city because an alien spaceship is here. And Peter is sleeping on the bus, but his spider sense awakens him. The spider sense doesn't really come back again. No. But he says, Ned, you have to make a distraction. And Ned looks at the spaceship and gives a genuine, holy shit, we're all going to die. Yep. And then all the kids go to the back of the bus to get a better look at it. And Stanley says, what are you guys freaking out about? You've never seen a spaceship before? Because this is the same Stanley that saw all that bullshit and was talking to the Watchers on the moon at some point. Yeah. And it, uh, it's really good. That is a good sequence. It felt like a Spider-Man homecoming sequence. Yeah. There were certain parts of this movie that felt like they brought on writers from the other films for those specific character moments. Oh, they did. Oh, they did? That is a, that is a known thing about the production of this yeah. movie. Oh, that explains why the individual character moments felt so much stronger than the big group scenes. Oh my god, that's why the certain Guardian of the Galaxy scenes had the weaknesses that they did. God damn it. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh. Well, I can't blame James Gunn for the Thanos scenes. So I'm not gonna... You're off the hook for this one, Gunn. So uh, Strange ends up getting tied up by tentacles and abducted. And Spider-Man is hanging on to him. but He gets drawn up into the ship too. So Iron Man goes to save him and gives him an iron spider suit and tells him to get out of here. But he sneaks on board the ship anyway. Yeah. And uh, they shoot off into space, and uh, it basically continues straight from there. Pepper gives Tony a call. She's like, please do not go to space because you're going to die. Please come back right now, Tony. 
And Tony's like, I literally have to save the universe. And she's like, right now, Tony. <laughs> I'm a really shrill, needy character in this movie. Ooh. And then Tony loses connection, not just with Pepper, but also Friday for some reason. She certainly uh, doesn't speak up again in the movie. Friday actually breaks up in that same sequence. Like, she starts breaking up when she says we're losing her boss. And then she's like, wait, hold on. And then she never speaks again. Maybe Friday is no longer housed within the suit, but is connected via Wi-Fi from a server somewhere. <laughs> That's pretty much the only explanation yeah. that makes a modicum of sense. But it doesn't make sense. That he wouldn't have her with him constantly. There's, like, input delay. Weird. Karen's not in this movie either. Karen? That's Sp- that's Spider Man's AI. Oh yeah. Oh man. Well, we we don't really get like a sort of a Peter perspective much. So yeah, Tony is one of the two, uh, one of the four characters who uh, gets any perspective in this movie, and uh, it's sort of to the detriment of everybody around him except for maybe Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange is a major character in this movie. He's, He's a major, probably the yeah. second most major hero after Thor. Um. I would say that the narrative focuses way more on Tony than it does on Strange. By far. Tony gets way more character moments, growth, time to reflect. He's the person whose perspective we're rooted in, and the person from whom we are made to understand the loss that the heroes eventually feel. Hmm, finally a movie about Iron Man's feelings. (laughs) Now, I like the other movies that are about Iron Man's feelings, especially that third one. Yeah, but he also infected two other people's movies. He sure did. Oh, I'm going to be so glad when we get a Spider-Man movie where Spider-Man is his own hero and we don't have to worry about a character beat where he's worried about disappointing Mr. Stark. Mr. Stark! Mr. Stark! Tom Holland's so cute, goddammit, he can get away with anything. So, uh, Tony berates Peter for being on the ship because he's definitely going to die in space and what is he going to tell Aunt May? And Peter's like, uh, listen, um, we have to save the universe, literally. And Tony's like, that's actually a pretty good argument, but I'm so angry, I won't acknowledge that you made it. Can I express my thanks for the movie writers for um, putting Benedict Cumberbatch in good-looking distress? Because thank you. Oh, yeah. I forgot. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. Back to the plot. (laughs) Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange is being tied up and tortured by Squidward. By Squidward. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. And here's one of the things that strikes me about this particular scene where lone character moments are often very true to the movies that they come from. But when they start coming together, it feels more like a greatest hits version of the characters in a really derivative way. Because uh, Tony's like, okay, I tell you what, smart guy, look down there. And he looks down, and he sees Ebony Maw torturing Doctor Strange. He's like, okay, what's your plan? And Peter looks at me and says, have you ever seen this really old movie, Alien? It's like that line he said in Civil War. It's like that line he said in Civil War. But it is a good moment, though. The it reason is. Ebony Maw is torturing Doctor Strange is because he's put a lock spell on the Eye of Agamotto that only he can unlock. An utterly and quite unbreakable lock spell mm-hmm. and it must be because the ebony maw sure as hell can't get it open and ebony maw is like listen if you don't open this uh before we get to that place it's going to be bad for me so you're going to open this and that's the end of that and so iron man appears in front of ebony maw and the Ebony maw is like 
You can't possibly defeat me. My powers are too great. And then Iron Man says, yeah, but this kid's seen a lot more movies. And he blows open a hole in the spaceship and Ebony Maw gets spaced. He just gets spaced. And that is actually a really good sequence. That's terrific. And Doctor Strange is also almost spaced, but Spider-Man saves him because he's Spider-Man. Good job. Good job, Peter. And then they have a discussion about what to do, um, being turn this ship back around. But then, no, no, we're just going to, like, get the jump on Thanos. And it's like, hold on a minute. Part of the problem is that they don't know how to turn the ship around, which, you know, okay, fine. Can't Doctor Strange make a portal back to Earth? Seriously. Just open up a portal and you go through and you're still moving. Anyway, but also... (laughs) Getting the jump on somebody. Yes, Thanos will be surprised, but you don't know what his home planet is like. It could have be a, a billion very, guys. I know, a billion <laughs> heavily defended guys. It makes no sense. That's why it's hard to get the jump on people on their home turf. Yeah. It just, uh... Well, Doctor Strange always has the portal in his back pocket, so he figured he might as well check check out the situation. I, I guess so. That is, But him and Tony have a big argument because their egos are both very large. Yes. It's like, how do you fit that head inside your helmet? It's like, ah, oh, that's a pretty good line there, Doctor Strange. And then they have the and, joke from the trailer where Peter's like, oh, we're using our pretend names. Yeah. That's cute. Peter's a very just nice, polite kid. Yep. Uh, so Doctor Strange says, hey, it's my oath to protect the Time Stone. If that means letting you die or letting this kid die... I will let you die. Yes. And Tony's like, well, that's good to know ahead of time, I guess. And that actually is a very good bit of theming in this movie. I want to give it this particular exchange. Whether or not people are willing to kill other people. No, no, no. Specifically, Doctor Strange saying that about Tony. It's like, I will not hesitate to watch you be made into a corpse if it means that Thanos doesn't get the time stone. Yes. It's a good twist. Yeah. That's actually really good. It also does play into the will people kill other people for... The time. Blah. Blah. Yeah. <sighs> Which is... So this basically concludes this timeline until they meet up with the Guardians. We gotta wait for Convergence. Yes. Okay, so um, that was a really good transition into the Hulk there. Um, what would be the next one to address? Because the major ones are the Vision and Wanda timeline, which includes Captain America, and then the Guardians timeline, which splits off into Gamora and Thanos. Uh, we could do the Vision and Wanda because that one's not actually very long. Okay, and then we have uh, we can save Thanos for last, I guess. Yeah. So Vision and Wanda have eloped in, I believe, Glasgow, was it? Yep. Yep. Home of Agent Leo Fitz. What? Uh, And Vision's (laughs) like, hey, we've been dating for two years. I think this is working. How about you? And Wanda says, yeah, I think it's working. They're cute. And Vision says, how about we just be together instead of leaving? And Wanda's like, nah, I gotta go. No, she was telling him to go. Oh. Yeah. No, I've got the order confused. Or maybe they were kind of... Somebody said that they had to go, and then it reversed itself. And then they were like, well, maybe we don't have to go. Maybe we can make things work out. And then the devil shows up. Yeah, then Satan, the devil, Prince of Darkness, shows up and stabs the Vision, (laughs) which messes up his phasing ability. Corvus Glaive got an upgrade. 
And it's interesting because it seems like in this movie, the glaive is made specifically to hunt a robot who has the mind stone for a brain. They came prepared. They did their research. Yeah. How? They, they were watching Earth. With what? I they have scouts. How are you going to spy on somebody who has the mind stone? Portals. Can't he feel minds? No, not like... Well, I don't know. Can he feel minds? I actually don't know either. He does not have complete control or understanding of the mind stone. That's right. So there's this big knockdown drag out fight where uh, Wanda, for one reason or another, doesn't completely atomize the people that they're fighting. But she does toss them around a few times and then grab Vision and run away. And then they get chased down and they're separated again. And then Wanda fights them off and she grabs the Vision and she runs away. And then they get chased down again. The blue haired lady was kind of cool looking. She's not very interesting, but... Good design. I think she... Yeah, Wanda and the Vision are both supposed to be pretty heavy hitters, but they don't really get to show that off much in this movie. The Vision oh. is supposed to be like Thor level, and Wanda's not far removed from that. Yeah. Though, in this movie, being Thor level is an absurd proposition. So... <sighs> they get pinned in the subway, but then Captain America and the Falcon and the Black Widow show up to save them. Yep. And it's Captain America and the Black Widow and the Falcon, who, relatively speaking, are three very normal people compared to Wanda and Vision. Yep. But But they're very good at fighting. They're very good at fighting, especially Falcon, whose special move in this movie is flying at someone while shooting at them and then kicking them. I mean, yeah. What are you going to do? I guess you'll be like the blue-haired lady, or no, he kicks Corvus, I think, and knocks him through like half a city block worth of uh, interior mall or something. It's rough. They kick the shit out of these guys, and they get them pinned, and there's this really cool sequence where Natasha and Cap are fighting Corvus, and they take his staff from him, they start whooping him, and then the blue lady shows up. Why don't I remember her name? She doesn't Proxima Midnight. What? Proxima Midnight. That's right. That's actually a pretty memorable name. I'm going to call her Proxima. And they, and then Proxima jumps in. And in the books, the two of them are either lovers or husband and wife. Proxima and Corvus, if I remember. Huh. And uh, then she starts whooping. And then they take her staff from her and start whooping her with her staff. And it is just one of the most thorough beatings that anyone ever gets. Especially considering that these two just beat up the Scarlet Witch and the Vision. And uh-huh. Scarlet Witch is like, we don't want to kill you, but we will. And Proxima is like, uh, bye. And they teleport out. Yeah, in comic books, being good at fighting is always enough to counter superpowers. I like that as a thing. But I don't know if they were that much better at fighting. Like, come on. I always find it interesting because, well, Steve has some superpower strength. Natasha doesn't have that. No, she doesn't. She holds her own in this pretty well. Oh, Natasha's so good. I love Natasha. Like, sometimes people wonder why I like Winter Soldier so much. A big part of that is how big a badass the Black Widow is in it. And that sort of carries forward into this movie as well. Uh, Excuse Monica for a minute. She has to step away for a moment. But, um, yeah. So, we get to the point where they teleport away. How did they teleport away? Uh, it's a big shaft of white light, and I don't know. Hmm, okay. 
What are the mechanics of it? Because usually it's the space stone, but they don't have that. No, they don't. And it's not... It's It, it looks almost like a pure white version of the Bifrost. Is it the tractor beam that picked up uh, Ebony Maw and Doctor Strange? Because that, that might be... Maybe? I seem to remember them dissolving into light, but I don't remember perfectly. What well, happens Regardless, there? they teleport away. Yeah, what happens after that? Uh, Steve and the gang take Scarlet Witch and Vision onto their ship, and they uh, they berate Wanda a little bit because she was supposed to check in, and she hasn't been checking in. That's right. And then they basically fly off to go find Rhodey. Yeah, they go back to Avengers HQ, where Rhodey is having an argument with Thunderbolt Ross. Which, honestly, is one of the best sequences in the movie in some ways. Because it's like, you know that the Accords are really important, right? And it's like, yeah, I know the Accords are important, but now I'm on a side where I don't think the Accords are so important anymore. And, you know, I, I actually buy the chemistry in this scene really well. They use Ross the exact way that he should be used. It's a very good portrayal of Thunderbolt Ross. It's so perfect. He's such a petty piece of shit. His sidekick, General Glenn Talbot, is in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and he's good there, too. Oh, really? What's he do? Uh, he's basically just a, a budget Ross. Oh, that's good. I like that. Yeah. Okay, so it's like... <laughs> he, uh, we, we get to the point where... They're having this argument about the Accords and how that applies to the Vision and how it's like, oh, you better be following the law. And Rhodey's like, I'm following the law, but I don't like the law anymore. And then Captain America walks through the door with the Vision and Wanda and Nat and Falcon and uh, Sam. And then Ross is like, arrest them. And War Machine is like, yeah, all right, sure. And he hangs up like Commander Shepard style. Yeah. And he it says, Cap, well, I'm going to get court-martialed for that, but I'm on your side. Yeah. So it's like, okay, Rhodey's in, and he recognizes that shit has gotten as bad as possible, and it's more important than the law. Which, let's be clear, we're big fans of international accords most of the time on this podcast. We like when countries are able to sign off on extra military police forces coming into them. But it's an alien invasion, and with an alien invasion, it's all hands on deck. So Banner walks in the room, and he and Natasha share two words, and that's the end of that plot. Oh my god, I for, I there's, there's two elements to this, but I kind of want to wait until Monica gets back before I start talking about them. But she's okay. not here, god damn it. Okay. So we uh, we left off where Bruce met Natasha and they exchanged two words and that's the end of that plot line. Oh my fucking god! I cannot believe that bullshit. Like, why can't you believe this bullshit? They spend. How important would you say the relationship between Nat and Bruce is to what goes on in Age of Ultron? I would say it is fairly important, and while I liked it, I know a lot of people did not. It's one of the elements of Age of Ultron that I liked best, actually. And um, and it's one of the few things that's really consistent about Bruce and Hulk through Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. It's like there's a real emotional connection going on between these two, and even if it's not romantic, 
you know, it's still there. And it definitely deserves to be addressed maybe in the follow-up since the cast is so much smaller. That would be nice. That would be real good if that second movie manages to pull that shit off again. Uh, let's see. There was something else I wanted to say about this scene, but I kind of forgot what it was. Um, piss. Nope, I've lost it. Where are we going next? So they start discussing what to do with the vision. Oh, no. Yeah, okay. Because the, they want to destroy... So Vision says we should destroy the Mind Stone so Thanos can't get it. And everybody's like, how would we even do such a thing? And the Vision says, well... Wanda's powers come from the Mind Stone, so maybe if she messes with it, she can melt it. And they try to make it sound a little bit more sciencey than that, but that really is the basis of it. And Wanda's like, no, I couldn't. And Yeah, because it'll kill the Vision. Vision's like, no, you've got to. Listen, you literally cannot weigh one life against half the universe. And Captain Cap says no. Captain America's like, uh, you totally can. And this is a problem. This is number two, I think. Cameron, explain why Captain America thinks black lives don't matter. Girl, you make a joke, but that is damn near one of the takeaways from this movie. Yes. Like, okay, so hold on. I just want to point out that we're officially at the point where the count is two for instances where they could destroy one of the Infinity Stones and stop Thanos cold, make sure that he never gets all the power he wants. And they don't do it. I'm surprised that this is even the way they chose to go, because previously it seemed that the Infinity Stones were indestructible. Yeah, it is very interesting that they chose to go this way. And this is one of the things Monica and I talked about. There's a couple of plot devices in this movie that only exist to create this specific scenario. And neither of them really... There's two instances in particular that kind of work out bad. Yeah. And this is one of them. It's like Cap says, okay, so maybe if we can get it removed from you, then we could destroy it without that being a problem. And Bruce is like, that might work because his mind has been developing. Maybe if we take out the Mind Stone, there will still be a lot of vision left. And... They're like, but that should be impossible. Who could possibly have the technology to do such a thing? And Cap's like, I know a place. Shuri. Shuri. The smartest woman in the world. Uh, Canonically, at this point. Yes. Like, no, 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 not smartest woman, smartest person. Yes. So what Cap does is he takes everybody to Wakanda. And it's a long flight going to Wakanda because they don't have Wakandan flight tech. It takes them forever to get there. Yeah, before they reach it, uh, T'Challa goes into chicken on Bucky and gives him a new arm. Gives him a new shiny arm that ends up not mattering at all. Yeah, Bucky doesn't uh, do a whole lot in this movie. He shoots Thanos with a gun. Does he? He does shoot him with a gun at one point. Oh, you're right. He does get like one shot off, doesn't he? It reminded me a lot of Dragon Ball Super, where people in the future have a resistance against the evil Goku Black. Uh And they just keep trying to shoot him with guns. Right. And it never works, and they know it, but they keep trying. Isn't one of the premises of a certain arc in Dragon Ball Super that if you got the jump on one of these characters, you could take them down with almost any attack? I don't know about that. It was a thing in uh, Resurrection F, I think, 
where Goku is taken out by this little puny, uh, like the lowest of the lowest of Frieza's servants because he didn't see the attack coming. I guess there's that scene in Dragon Ball Z where Krillin throws a rock at him and he's asleep. So it hurts him. Yeah. Even though he has taken bullets before. And it's not like a super Dragon Ball style throw either. He just kind of lazily tosses it. Yeah. So yeah, I guess they do have to actively deflect the bullets with their key. Maybe they're just hoping to catch him off guard. Sure. This has to be one of the worst tangents that I've ever taken us on, and I'm sorry. What's what's your problem with Dragon Ball? No, just the tan- I, I Listen, I like Dragon Ball most of the time. I'm- just sorry about this particular tangent okay because it's a bit much I, I i don't even know what we were talking about we were in wakanda oh yeah bucky bucky got the new arm but that doesn't matter it doesn't and they arrive and bruce tries to bow to t'challa and because Rhodey tells him to and, and t'challa's like no we don't that's not what we do here oh uh, you crazy the arm thing uh, 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 okay so we're going to talk about Wakanda for a minute. And yep. the thing about Wakanda is, did they bring Coogler in on this? They did, yes. Okay. Do we know what parts they did it for? Uh, I mean, I don't know specifically, but they did have Coogler like, look over it. Because it doesn't feel like it. There's like a big tonal difference between Wakanda in this movie versus Wakanda in Black Panther. Could you elaborate on that? There's a certain... Self-sustaining grandiosity, a dignity that extends beyond mere physicality that infuses every part of Wakanda and Black Panther. And in Infinity War, it's just a place. It is not a nation. It is a setting. Yeah, it's a place where they have the good technology. It's the place where they have the good technology, but only up to a certain point. I actually feel like their defenses are much less uh, robust in this movie than they were in black panther which doesn't make sense for a lot of reasons oh i don't know i i feel like being brute forced by a million space dogs is a fair counter we'll get to that once we get to they still they still defended it from meteors okay we're going to get to this once we get to the actual battle but even just little small things as they're walking up to the landing platform okoye says to t'challa This isn't quite what I imagined when you said that we would be opening Wakanda to the world. And T'Challa says, what were you imagining? And uh, and that's his first of ten lines. And Okoye says, the Olympics? A Starbucks, maybe? And the latter half of that joke kind of bothers me. Because it's like, why would Okoye want a Starbucks in Wakanda? I mean, they make good, they make the pumpkin spice. Uh, mm, First of all, Starbucks coffee is bad. Okay. Second of all, Starbucks coffee is also like one of the worst examples of Western cultural imperialism. That is a good point. I could maybe see if Shuri made that part of the joke. Not Okoye. Okay. That part just, that that part bothered me more than it should, but it bothered me. So we get through this whole thing and they're like, oh, we got to bring the vision in here. We get the thing out of his head. It's like, okay, so bring him up here. And Shuri's smarter than Bruce Banner and Tony Stark and the vision. Because they, okay, I want to talk about this scene a little bit because Bruce says we had to connect the neurons in a certain way or whatever, but they they didn't do that. What is he talking about? What? Is he talking about when they uploaded Jarvis? What do you mean, Crystal? Because they didn't, 
like, okay, let's break down the creation of the vision. Please. So, Helen Cho made a body, and then the vision partially uploaded his consciousness to it, but got interrupted. And he also put the Mind Stone in there, but he didn't, like, have to connect neurons or anything. He just placed it in his forehead, and it naturally slotted in there. Uh, And then the Avengers stole it, and Tony Stark and Bruce Banner uploaded the remains of Jarvis into it, and then Thor hit it with lightning. And that is what finally brought the Vision to life. Yeah, yeah. But they act like Bruce was involved intimately with the creation of the Vision brain, and he wasn't. Which is just a creation of Ultron. Yeah, among other aspects. Right. So it's like, um, well, the, the, the joke works better this way, I guess. Yeah. I mean, the point of the scene is to establish that Shuri is much smarter than Bruce. What it really does, if you're uh, a fan of Age of Ultron enough to remember that sequence, is establish that Shuri's actually smarter than Ultron was. Yes. Which is saying a lot, because Ultron's very smart. Yeah. He, he's he's part Mindstone too. He built a machine that was better than the best machine that Tony Stark could build. And that's that's okay. That that joke is probably worth it, but that is kind of a weird continuity error now that you bring it up. And at this point, um, they go over exactly what's going to be done because sure. Well, I want to go back to the vision for a second. Okay, back to the vision. Do you think when Thor zapped the vision with lightning, he put a little bit of the Thor force in him, and that's why he can lift the hammer? What was was Odin? Odin wasn't gone as of Age of Ultron, was he? No, Odin was still alive. He still had the Odin force. Yeah, but he put a little bit of the Thor in him. He's got a little bit of Thor. I could see that. Okay. Yes. Yeah. He has some lightning at least. Uh. So yeah. Jury says I can I can get this out, but I have to remove trillions of neurons manually. And that's going to take me at least like two hours. So it's like, well, Thanos is coming now. And T'Challa turns to Steve Rogers and says, excuse me? And Steve says, yeah, we have to hold back Thanos' army. And T'Challa says, I'm here to offer you surgery and the use of our medical facilities, not to throw Wakandan lives away so that you can preserve one man. Or at least that's what... Cameron, you are just writing fan fiction, right? That's what should have fucking happened, Crystal. Yes. So, as, as you said before, Steve refuses to accept... Vision's decision to sacrifice his life, but the decision of the Wakandans to sacrifice their lives is much more palatable. Much more palatable that these proud people should die for the Vision than the Vision should die for the entire fucking universe. And it just makes... Because Steve Rogers is a great character, but this particular sequence turns what is his nobility into rancid hypocrisy you're here already well it's a, actually a pretty short timeline okay monica do you have any opinions on natasha and banner natasha and banner how they did the whole thing at two for two lines and then hey. pieced out <laughs> yeah um that was a lot of nothing <laughs> yeah um wow okay was that it <laughs> that you guys covered in the no, we, we also covered a we little... We talked about some continuity errors with Avengers 2. Oh? Yeah, uh, how um, the version of the creation of of uh, Vision's brain described in the movie is not the one that takes place in Age of Ultron. 
Oh. Because Ultron built the Vision's brain. Yeah. Amongst other things. Well, didn't they kind of plan it out and then... No, wait. No, that was Ultron. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah, it's all Ultron. And then we talked a little bit uh, about this thing with Cap. <sighs> Did you talk about Amalas? He's the one that walks away from Omalas. No. Okay. Oh, no. Well, there's a short story by Ursula K. Le Guin, and you all should go read it. It's called The Ones Who Walk Away from Omalas. And it is basically talking about an idyllic city, an idyllic society. It's not very descript, aside from the assertion that everything in it is perfect and harmonious and everybody is happy. Um, and everything is sustainable and whatever. Um, only there is one, uh, child in that city who has to suffer and not experience any sort of goodness in order for this society to function. And most people, when they learn about this, are shocked for a bit, but they come to terms and they go on with the rest of their happy, happy lives. But there are some who say, no, no, I refuse. And just leave the city those are the ones who walk away from Amalas. um because the idea behind this is that if this child has even a single kind word spoken to them that the city and their way of life will collapse and then who knows what could come after and instead of burning the city down um the the people who oppose this just walk away but whatever that's to talk about the the short story but I'm okay with Steve Rogers being the one person who walks away from Omalas. But everybody else should have been very, you know... No, fuck you, Steve. <laughs> no, fuck you, Steve. To a certain degree, that's even the theme in Black Panther, where the betrayal of this one child compromises the integrity of the entire kingdom. Yes. But there's a big difference there, isn't there? Because the yeah. Vision is choosing his own fate. Just he's like, an adult. So well, <laughs> he was, he's three. He's three. <laughs> but he's kind of an adult. And beyond that, most damningly, Steve is just fine when these Wakandans choose to lay down their lives to protect the vision. Yeah, it doesn't much make sense. I don't think 616 T'Challa would do this. No, he wouldn't, actually. Comic books T'Challa would have um, probably turned on a machine that just killed the Vision. Mm -hmm. it, it, everybody else should have just said, no, sorry. Somebody should have clonked Steve Rogers over the head. Like, Natasha should have argued with him and also possibly tased him in the neck. Yeah. But then how, how would they have had the big fights? The thing is, they could have. They but easily could have. It's amazing what you can do when you're writing the story. Because yeah. let's say um, they, they decide and Vision decides, no, I'm going to sacrifice myself for this. But destroying the Infinity Stone is kind of tricky, which seems logical. Yeah. So it takes them all this time to try to destroy it. Uh, Scarlet Witch is trying her damnedest to snap it, but, you know, it takes t as much time as it would to repair it. And uh, they have to take him to somewhere before Thanos' troops swarm, so they need a place with good defenses. So then they go to Wakanda, the place in the world with the best defenses. So, yeah, this, this whole thing is bullshit, and it bothers me. And this is why uh, Crystal made that joke about why Cap thinks that black lives don't matter. Oh, no. Well, I mean... 
Yeah. It's difficult to walk away from this movie with a different impression, you know? It spins black lives very handily. Yeah. I don't get it. Because I suppose the decision is to... I mean, they're not making Thanos come and try to kill them. So therefore, it's not the same kind of thing as deciding to kill someone. I guess. But it just... It doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't. And that everybody falls into line with this plan is just crazy. Yeah, I would say that it runs against the characterization of many of these people up to now. Can you imagine how Okoye, as she is written in Black Panther, would respond to this plan? Yeah. Because I think she might just pop the gem off the Vision's head herself. Should have gone with Killmonger. No, we're not getting back to this. (laughs) But yeah, that's horrible. And then Thanos' soldiers show up. And do we want to keep going until more timelines converge? or We still need to do the Guardians timeline. I believe that's the last one. Okay. Uh, But I mean, like, should we keep going through what happens in the fight? Or should we just say it's the big fight? It's the big fight. Okay. Because there's something about the big fight that bothers me. Uh Uh-huh. The defenses in Wakanda are not nearly as efficacious in this movie as they are in black panther yeah can can we just agree that there is no reason for this to be in wakanda not except for the fact of it being in wakanda and there's no yeah yeah there's no reason for it to be in wakanda it could literally be anywhere else and be just as effective yes there would be a big skirmish fight you doesn't need to have the big barriers or whatever the other thing is that the defenses that Wakanda has in this movie literally aren't as good as what they have in Black Panther. Um, Crystal, do you remember the um, lesser of the final two action sequences in final, th- the least of the final three action sequences in Black Panther, that being the massive aerial battle? Yeah. Where they have like these drone ships that are flying around. Yeah. Where'd those go? Where did those go? Where are, should have been shooting <laughs> Where are the flying, like, you know that Shuri has built flying drone robots with vibranium-powered weapons that if they catch a thousands and thousands strong alien army in a wee tiny split in the barrier like that could just blow everything to hell 30 times over. Where were the rhinos? In fact, why wouldn't they just Where were fl- the rhinos? <laughs> Where were the rhinos? Um, they were off being part of expensive CGI that's actually really hard to do. Um, you, you know, I just feel like if they were serious about portraying Wakanda in the same way that it's portrayed in Black Panther, then Wakandans would have directly attacked the dropships. Yeah, but also, like, why were they all just foot soldiers? And why did they all just charge from their neat, um, neatly lined positions you gotta have the big lord of the rings battle moment the the charge is the stupidest sorry i don't know somebody's gonna message about proper warfare which i no no no. you're not wrong Uh, they have a lot of options afforded by their um magic super tech which means that huge swaths of the battle in wakanda don't make any sense yeah it is the way also why don't they have soldiers planted like all around behind the army yeah wouldn't that be something yeah, but also it would have been really interesting for Wakanda to refuse in this. I know they are opening up, 
but this is to agree to, you know, totally decimate the city. That's not what they signed up for. Well, in fairness, they didn't really reach the Golden City at all. Right. But, I mean, they could have. Who knows what Thanos would have brought. You'd think that if that... They... The sequence just doesn't make a lot of sense because... And normally, I'm not the person to go like, Oh, the amount of troops they brought to this battle isn't congruent with the amount of troops that they displayed in previous battles. Because that kind of shit is tiresome in the extreme. But, I mean, Wakanda's super fucking badass. If Even if you don't like Black Panther at all, you come away from that movie with the impression of like, wow, Wakanda's super fucking badass. Like, one of the conceits of that movie is that Wakanda, if it wanted to be, would the, be the most powerful military force in the world. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that fight shouldn't really have gone the way it was for a lot of reasons. It was just set up wrong. Like, they didn't, they're playing a board game, but they don't have all their pieces. And that's stupid, and I didn't like it. I, I hate it. I hate it. Yeah, when T'Challa outlined the available options, and it was like Dora Meiji, the Border Tribe, Bucky, because he matters. Oh, the Border Tribe is still around in this movie. That's good. Yeah, but like it was like these three things, and it's like, no, I, I, I think you guys had more. They had a lot more. He says Border Tribe, what's left of uh, them. what's oh, left yeah. of them. Right. So, I mean, where where's everybody there. else? Umbaku is there. He he gets to have a couple lines in this movie. Oh, yeah. That's good. That is, it's good that he was in the movie. Oh, this fucking oh. movie. Okay. Guardians. The Guardians go to nowhere, and they find Thanos torturing the Collector. And Star-Lord has a plan of attack, but no one listens to him because he sucks. Oh, wait, before this, Gamora has a conversation with Star-Lord. Where she says that she knows something Thanos doesn't. And if it comes down to it, if Thanos captures her, she wants Star-Lord to promise that he will kill her. It's very touching. It's alright. And Drax watches. He's been standing <laughs> there for over an hour. That's the best part of the scene. Apparently James Gunn <laughs> convinced him to do that or something. Yeah, because that scene so much needed that heavy dose of bullshit. It did. I... Do you think that's foreshadowing something? What? So slow that they can't see me. What could it possibly be foreshadowing? I don't know. People have all sorts of ideas about what the ashes might actually mean. Oh, no. What? No, we're not going to get into this until the end. Is that this the speed can- force? Okay. No, it's oh, it's not the speed force. So they go to nowhere. They <laughs> have a little skirmish with Thanos. And they kill Thanos. Gamora kills him, stabs him to death. It was sick. And Yeah. But it was an illusion. It was super an illusion. The reality stone seems to make illusions when it's by itself. Maybe that's all Thanos can think of. Yeah. In Thor the Dark World, it was going to be used to delete light from the universe. What? Shut up. Malekith was going to delete (laughs) light.exe. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I I forgot about that. Now, was it like the actual concept of light or was it like the light half of the universe? No, it was the concept of light. (laughs) Because he came from the previous universe where there wasn't light. So he predates the stones. Mm-hmm. I forgot that. I haven't watched The Dark World in a very long time. It's a good movie. I trust It's better than this movie. You know what? You're Maybe? not wrong. Oh, that's right. Monica says that this is the worst Marvel movie. Yeah. Oh, I agree with her. <laughs> oh. Woo! Where would you place it? I'm not sure. I, I mean, like... 
I enjoy all these movies as like movies and popcorny movies. I think I would have said middle of the pack, maybe lower end, but I'd really have to think about it. I don't like ranking things as much. Uh, if you put a list in front of me, maybe if I rewatched some of the movies, I don't know. It's definitely not, I'm not as big on it as a lot of people are. There's a spectrum of enjoyment when it comes to this movie. And at one extreme end, there's Crystal. And at the other extreme end, there's people who call it the best of the Marvel movies, we'll say. We're not going to count the folks who call it the best movie they've ever seen. There are people who, yeah. 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 I'm not counting that. But uh, I think I exist more or less near the center of this scale where Monica is between Crystal and me and my brother is uh, slightly higher on the movie than I am, but not by much. So you're a three out of five. Nope. Nope. This movie is a two. Let's let's not let's not go bananas. Two out of five. Yeah. Let's not go bananas here. Okay. Um, it's, it's problems are way too big for it to be a three. A three is like me coming out of the theater going, I'm really satisfied. That was a lot of fun. So that would be something like, uh, 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 maybe the first Captain America. Yeah, that's a three. You give Captain America a three out of five? Okay. You gave the best Captain America movie a three out of five? Cameron! Oh, Jesus. Okay, so we're going to adjust this scale so that it only applies to Marvel movies. Okay. So, like, I, I, I don't know that I've ever seen, like, just a one-star Marvel film. Maybe, I, I, I don't remember being a big fan of Iron Man 2 very much, but I haven't seen it since he came out. Um, That's a good one. Better than this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, but a three is still a good movie it's still fun and good and perfectly watchable because the average movie six out of ten cameron i do not convert straight to a 10 point scale and also six out of ten is supposed to be pretty fucking good that's what they give the pets games oh listen we're not using the video game scale the video game scale is very different so yeah under the video game scale this movie's like uh like an (laughs) (laughs) 8.8 and uh age of ultron the best one is like a 9.7 We were shocked into silence. <laughs> it's the best one. We don't know how to respond, but that's okay. It's the, it's a good movie. We still love you, Crystal. Okay. <laughs> Ultron's better than Thanos. Well, he, I I'm I like Ultron. Girl, than Thanos. what? Don't you do this? <laughs> what? Oh no no! Like Ultron is just absolutely bonkers. I know that the audience knows that. We don't need to go on about how Ultron once saved a little kitty cat and, you know, Monica, didn't destroy did you this forget kid. that Ultron waxes philosophic in that movie? Yeah, but I know it's ridiculous philosophical. Was it? Yes. Yeah, no, I don't think you're ever meant to take Ultron seriously the way they expect you to take Thanos seriously. All right. You would know best. But, like, I love the way Ultron is just doesn't really know what he's doing and constantly contradicts himself. Yeah. Okay, a, th- a three-star would be the first Avengers movie. Oh, mm, second best one. <laughs> <laughs> and a four-star would be something like, uh, we'll say, uh, Captain America, the first Avenger. And, oh, the best Captain America. And a five-star would be something like Thor Ragnarok. Best Thor. 
So there you go. That it's is that more palatable to you? Okay. 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 Yes. Thank you, Cameron. <laughs> I'm glad I could resolve this. You may for you. advance. Okay. Great. Thank you. Oh, I'm so lucky. So the girls all kill Proxima Midnight because she's the girl villain. Yeah. Oh, I thought that too in the same moment. It's like she has to fight the girls because she's a girl. This was pointed out by uh, a mutual acquaintance. Friend of the show, Mikey. Friend of the show, Mikey. Oh, really? Okay. Well, I, I I hear you, Mikey. I totally felt that in that moment and was embarrassed. Okoye should have fought, like, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Okoye should have killed Thanos. Okoye should have killed Thanos. How many people have you said that about so far? Well, it should be like a reverse Doctor Strange where he keeps... No, actually, it should just be like Doctor Strange, <laughs> where he keeps turning back time and getting killed by different characters. And, like, most of them are Wakandan, as it turns out. Yes. Hey, why couldn't Doctor Strange just do the Doctor Strange thing on Thanos? Uh, well, he has a plan, you see. Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> that, I forgot to mention, like, one of the worst things about the treatment <laughs> of Wakanda in this movie, and that none of the Wakandan characters get to talk. The only... Yeah purpose that t'challa has in this movie is to go okay we will bring all the warriors to this fight and somebody give cap a shield and that's pretty much it that's all the lines yeah and it's a really noble end to this country that we weren't prepared to do anything remotely like in um two days ago chadwick boseman is a really good actor and that he was not given room to breathe in this movie is criminal and they should have spotted that. Jesus. Even before Black Panther's obvious success. Before it exploded. They must have had a few meetings about that afterwards. Like, guys, do you realize that some fans are going to be upset because there's not enough? Can we put anything else? We didn't shoot anything else. Can we shoot anything else? No. Editing takes a while. They definitely adjusted the marketing. Yeah, yeah. they did. Because Black Panther, as it just happens to turn out, is now the biggest and most popular standalone Marvel property. It's bigger than the Avengers until the end of this weekend. Yeah. God. Okay, I'm sorry. Anyway, the, 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 the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. So, yeah, it's an illusion. Thanos isn't actually dead, even though Gamora cried a lot about it. That's pretty good uh, acting. Yeah, I like that scene. I wish they had stuck with it. <laughs> I wish Thanos was, was just like, dead. Thanos just died like an hour. Oh, ahead. and then they had to come up with some other like villain for who would be like the big bad of this movie. And how does the gauntlet change people once it starts passing into different hands? That would have been cool. Sure. The Collector could have done that. Uh, yeah, the Collector's dead too. Thanos is actually completely messed up nowhere. Um, and he turns Drax and Mantis into jelly cubes. And a slinky. But they don't slinky. stick. That's the power of the reality stuff. That is actually something that um, you may re recall that Thanos does actually do that in the Infinity Gauntlet book. Mm -hmm. um, I forget exactly who he does it to. I know he turns Thor to glass, but he turns somebody else into a bunch of cubes, like children's building blocks, and just knocks them down. I think it's pretty funny that when Thanos makes up stuff and doesn't just punch people, he thinks of slinkies, blocks, and bubbles. Yeah, he keeps turning gunshots into bubbles. Everything that specifically is turned against Gamora becomes bubbles. Yeah. And this is a tough sequence to deal with in a ton of ways, uh, especially 
for me personally, both because they do the really dangerous thing and let the reality stone genie out of its bottle. Because it's like, okay, he can literally close his fist and disassemble people while keeping them alive or change the state of matter that they're in. And okay, he's unstoppable and fuck you. You can't fight that. He doesn't exactly do it ever again. This is a movie about fighting in the middle of a movie franchise about fighting, and they introduce a thing that you can't fight, and then they don't address it. Thanos is a lot like Hela in that his power is never really questioned in this movie. Mm -hmm. I think it worked better with Hela. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because with Hela, they had Surtur in their back pocket. Yeah, and that's fine. Surtur as the apocalypse. Oh, it would have been cool if Surtur had been brought to bear against Thanos. That'd be sick. Right? Be the sickest. And Eternity. Um, And the Living Tribunal. Now that we have seen Infinity War Part 1, what do we think about Hela being death? She's not. I know, but not not in a legitimate way. Like, the, the, the interaction that she has with Thanos, or could have had. That would have been very good. Kate Blanchett in this movie? Oh, man. I never liked the idea of Hela being a death substitute. Well, she is. She has her own stuff going on. Yeah, that's fine. But it's like, at the same time, like, Hella, Kate Blanchett just doing the Hella thing all over the movie while Thanos is, like, just trailing after her like a lost puppy would be pretty good. Instead of being a sad dad. You could do that with death. (laughs) Well, anyway, that ain't what we got now, is it? And Thanos uh, holds up Gamora and Peter Quill, this movie's bad Peter. Shows up with his gun, and he's like, oh, jeez, oh, man. And Thanos is like, ah. And Gamora's like, come on, you said you would shoot me, right? And Thanos is like, did you now? And there's actually a really tense scene where Thanos keeps walking up to Peter. He's like, yeah, do it. Do it, you little piece of shit. And he does it. This is count three. Yep. This is count three. We got to two while you were away. Oh. And um, he does it. And it's actually a half-decent character moment when he manages to pull the trigger. It takes too long. The shot is too long. But the fact that he manages to do it is fine. And then the gun shoots bubbles. It's like, ah, reality stone. It's a nice development for Peter, I guess. The bad Peter. The bad Peter, who does terrible, terrible things and stupidly terrible things in this movie. That he keeps his word and goes, yeah, well, yeah, that's kind of important that I do this. And he's the one who follows through and tries to make good on it. And that's fine. But unfortunately, this movie is really determined to make sure that Gamora has absolutely nothing to do with determining her own fate. Yeah. So she gets taken away by Thanos. And- uh, somewhere about this time, there's a flashback to Thanos invading her planet. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he's separating everyone into two different groups, one to live and one to die. And Gamora gets separated from her mother. And then Thanos meets her. He's like, hey, little one, you like this knife? (laughs) (laughs) Also, you're good at fighting? I guess he's... I think she, like, kicked a guard away or something. Uh. He called her a survivor, I think. Okay. Yeah. This is a part of the movie that really... They could have gone in a lot harder... Yeah. Like, a lot harder. 
Like, actually show us stuff about Thanos and Gamora's relationship, not just this one sequence that forever freezes her as a baby child in Thanos' mind. That's nonsense. Yeah. God, I love that. Do you like this knife? <laughs> Everything should be perfectly balanced like this knife. And that's, that's his that's, 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 philosophy in a nutshell. That's what he says as his troops are shooting her people. And she's like, what's going on? And he's like, no, 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 no. Keep balancing the knife. And she keeps balancing the knife. He's like, there, you got it. Like you, you would say to a small dog. Ugh. But then Gamora stabs him with that very same knife. It's very dramatic. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a thing. We have another timeline split here. Do we? Yeah. Yeah, because Gamora is separated from the other Guardians. Oh, yeah. Now we have the Thanos timeline, because let's be clear, it's not the Gamora timeline. Yes. And the Guardians timeline, which is very short because it now basically just merges with uh, the... Tony timeline. Tony timeline. So which do we want to do first? Thanos or the... the Tony? Let's do the Thanos timeline. Okay. Let's talk about my favorite character. Okay. So Thanos takes Gamora back to his throne room where Gamora says, I hate this room. And I hate you, and I wish you were dead. She sounds like a surly teenager, which, yeah. again, we know the writers' kids' ages. <laughs> Gamora's like 30. And Thanos says, you used to tell me that every single day, but I still wish that you would inherit this throne. And he's made her some soup. Now, can you imagine I... how differently, how differently would this have read if instead of Gamora saying this thing and Thanos saying you used to tell me that all the time we actually saw like teenage Gamora saying that and like in the middle of all this like I guess Nebula's unconscious on the floor in this scene that I'm building here um Thanos is actually cooking sure I mean you they've already done little, one you, flash you have this little humanizing element where Thanos is actually making food and it transitions from him offering the soup to Teenage Gamora or whatever, Kid Gamora, if you want. And he's killing half the chicken. He's killing half the chickens <laughs> and putting one of them in the pot. <laughs> oh my god. God damn, woman. <laughs> I, can we talk about, I don't know if it's just that Thanos' hand is so big, but this pot of soup seems very small. Yeah. Well, for Thanos. It's like half a pudding cup <laughs> well i think it's like regular soup person size regular person size soup but yeah he's hulk size so it's <laughs> hilariously small in his hands it's, it's just like him flipping the coin to figure out which chicken to kill <laughs> and also it's like in a, a dirty metal cup like Thanos, you're rich he is pretty rich but he does like that dirty metal cup aesthetic right Gotta lean into the aesthetic. But no, that scene wouldn't have worked the way that I wrote it. But you know what? I bet if I took six months to work on it, I bet I could figure out a, made a, a way to make that scene resonate in some way. Yeah. Well, I mean, like a flashback could do... A lot. A lot. More so than them talking about how it was. Anyway. So anyway, Thanos says, I know you know where the Soul Stone is. And then we cut to them walking into the place where Nebula is being tortured... And this is a very gnarly scene because her body is just 
stretched apart with different pieces floating in the air this is good like from a cinematography cinematography point of view because when the camera enters the room you can't tell this is happening because of the way that she's being pulled apart i bet it looks good in 3d it did actually and it was deeply unnerving because it gives you this sense that um, Nebula is effectively immortal and she's been being tortured nonstop and she's in no danger of dying possibly ever. But this They really pull out thing. all the stops and don't skip on money when it comes to torturing women. Yeah. Yeah. I got no rejoinders. So yeah, Thanos tortures Nebula and Gamora's like... I better give that Infinity well, Stone to Thanos. Die. Oh, yeah. It's, this is count four. That's the count. This is four. Um, yeah, yeah. I I did actually like the bit where Thanos is like, "Listen, you can't lie to me. I never taught you." The, the thing about Thanos is that he actually has some really good lines in this movie. We we skimmed over the part where he has an argument with Gamora about his ultimate mission, and we kind of skimmed over the conversation here. But I like one particular line here where he says, you are generous as I taught you and you are strong, but I never taught you to lie. And that's why you're so bad at it. And it's just like there's this deep, deep menace to that line. Like if they played Thanos straight as the horrifying, abusive father, that would be one of the most frightening lines in cinema history. I guess if he was in a different movie and a different character. It's a good line is what I'm getting at. (laughs) Let's go back a second to the part that we did skim over about Thanos explaining his motivation to Gamora. Yes, I was waiting for that. (laughs) So Gamora says, you know, you talk a big game, but all you do is kill people like you did to my home planet. And Thanos says, you know what that's like now? Everyone has bellies full because there's plenty of food because I solved their overpopulation. Great job, Thanos. That's going to last for like two weeks. Yeah, Gamora doesn't get to win this scene. Like, it seems like you're supposed to treat this idea seriously. And and there's so many rejoinders to it. It's like, good thing you didn't murder the guy in charge of the agriculture because, you know, in your random decision-making, that could have happened. Um, Or or anything else. Like, that's a stupid plan. What do you expect to do in a hundred years? You know, she doesn't even necessarily have to win the scene. Yeah. You could end it with something as simple as her going, you are well and truly mad. Yeah, that's And he true. says, so people keep telling me. And it has the same effect. Did we? Did he bring up here that his original planet and all this, or does that happen? No, that Titan? happens when the timelines converge. Okay. I'll wait till <laughs> yeah, then. He tells that to Tony Stark. Because of the Tony Stark. Okay. Or, no, he tells it to Doctor Strange. Yes. Yes. Okay. I'll wait till... I get them confused. <laughs> well, they are kind of close to the same fucking character. Yeah. Uh, you know, I like MCU Doctor Strange, but he's pretty different from 616 Doctor Strange. Honestly, that's probably to his advantage in a lot of cases. Or how about the, the argument of, you know, what about the planets where, you know, food scarcity wasn't an issue, jackass? And they would be. Uh, uh, anyway, there's a million things to say. 
Yeah. That's another scene that could have used a little bit more time. Yeah. Maybe in the next movie they'll finish having this argument with Thanos. <laughs> yeah, a lot of maybe in the next movie. A lot of that. Uh, so Gamora says it's on planet Boromir or whatever it is called. Boromir. Planet Boromir. And they go to planet Boromir and they meet the Stonekeeper, which is a term previously used by Ebony Ma to refer to Doctor Strange. So this is like a thing. I really thought this would have been a Dantooine moment. They're on Dantooine. What? They, they, when Leia says that the rebels are on Dantooine instead. Oh, of... yeah. I expected oh. her to lie. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's another lie, but and it would just, have been a pretty good lie. Like, it would give Nebula the time she needed to escape, and she takes him to the wrong fucking planet. And it would have at least have bought some time for everybody else to rally up. We expect a lot more trickery out of these characters. I know that Thanos said that. She, you know, she wasn't really taught well, to lie, but that's not a hard lie. As the god of mischief, he does. I expected mischief, uh, but the stonekeeper is Johann Schmidt, the Red Skull. Yeah, I think Cam in that moment yelled out, "What did you yell out uh, in no, the theater?" What I did was like, "Ooh, ooh, ooh, ooh!" Yes, I did not yell out, but I had a very big smile on my face. It's so perfect. I knew the Red Skull had been transported to space, and I knew he was doing some space stuff. It would, I knew it. It, 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 it. Just the fact that we got to see him again was so gratifying. There's my favorite double Nazi. <laughs> yep. Did, were there, like, corpses littered around the place? No, not really. No. I can't remember. Yeah, I, tr- I tried to pick out the details. I think maybe other stuff got teleported here, but I don't know. The scene doesn't really make any sense. I think Mr. Schmidt keeps it pretty clean around there. I mean, he hasn't got much to do except tidy up. Yeah, maybe in the next movie they'll explain <laughs> what the hell was actually going on with Mr. Schmidt and why he's alive and why he's the stonekeeper and what that even means. He says that the uh, space stone, that, or it's the space stone in the Tesseract, right? Right. He, well, I mean, I know the space stone transported him there. No, he said but He said that the stone is actually the one that made him be the keeper of this place. So oh, they're sentient. Okay. So they sapient. They're sapient. That's fucked okay. up. I mean, it's okay, okay, behind that. But it's like that creates all kinds of other problems because it's like why aren't they stopping Thanos? They're the Triforce. They don't why care. Why would they want to stop Thanos? Why did they want to stop Johan? I mean, they didn't. His heart but they wasn't in balance. No, they totally wanted to stop the Red Skull. That was the whole point of the explanation he gave. Maybe that's mm. the reason he came up with, like, to himself. You know, there's a sequence in, um, I think it's an Iron Man comic that reminds me of this scene where, oh God, I can't believe I'm about to talk about this particular character with their particular name. Uh, you, are, are both of you familiar with the concept of the character, the Mandarin? Mm-hmm. Only in the MCU. Okay, well, the Mandarin has 10... 10 base, rings, I got that. 10 rings. Do they do things? They're kind of like, they're more like, uh, they're sort of like Green Lantern rings. Think of them as being like Green Lantern rings. Okay. And at some point, um, they're separated from the Mandarin. I think that he dies or something. And they all go out and they're searching for new hosts. And they particularly want hosts who are highly ambitious and powerful and preferably evil. Because the rings themselves are sentient and they have specific needs. Uh And they're all really mean. They're war rings. 
So they go around and they examine different people and they like pick out different criminals and they look at like, I don't remember who all exactly, but we'll say they look at like the shocker from Spider-Man. It's like, this guy doesn't have enough ambition. They discard it. And they go off and they look at like, uh, and this is the most evilest ring going around doing this. And he goes and looks at a bunch of different people and decides that they all suck for different reasons. And then he finds uh, the Red Skull. You're like, the Red Skull, okay. And this part, he has like the frontal lobe of Charles Xavier. So he is, he's like a really powerful psychic. And his behavior profile definitely fits. Let's go into his brain and just see how... Oh, abort! Abort! Because it's like these hyper evil alien rings and trying to become one with the super Nazi, the Red Skull, is just several steps too far for them. And I like that. It's good. I'm not telling it right. So are the rings Infinity Stones? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's like... According to this. It's like, let's get real. The Red Skull getting the Infinity Gauntlet would be much worse than Thanos getting it. Yes. He might, uh, like, the Red overwrite reality here. and change Steve Rogers into a Nazi. Oh, fuck's sake. Oh, no. <laughs> he says, a lifetime ago, I too sought the stones. I even held one in my hand. But it cast me out, banished me here. Guiding others to a treasure I cannot possess. Yep. But that doesn't say anything about foiling his plans. It banished him and cast him out. Mm, I don't know. Can we just... That can be read a lot of different Isn't ways. he floating in this scene? <sighs> Maybe? Can we establish that this whole setup for the Soul Stone... Yes, it's pretty effective at getting very few people to get hold of the stone. But at the same time, it's um, in, in favor of very bad people. Yeah, definitely very bad people. That's stupid for people designing Why? this thing and trying to protect this from getting into the wrong hands. Bad job, guys. Now you want to know... Is that what they're even trying to do? I think so. I mean, theoretically. That they talk about the people who built this and falling into the wrong hands. So unless they intended the Soul Stone to go to a bad person, then... Maybe they did. Yeah, maybe they did. In which case, good job. To ensure that whoever possesses it understands its power, the stone demands a sacrifice. Uh. So, Crystal, how did you imagine... Hold on. How did you imagine this scene going when you uh, initially started it? Um, so this is actually... I've read a lot of Infinity War quote-unquote spoilers, which are mostly just made-up theories... Uh-huh. This is one that was actually out like way ahead months ago, and I did not believe it because it seemed ridiculous. But then, as it slowly started to happen, I was like, "Oh my god!" I I called it. I didn't read any spoilers. I just when they said you have to make a sacrifice and it's got to be the person or whatever that you love. I'm like, "Yep, there she is," and it's gonna be played as a totally straight thing. And he's going to shed big lion tears and, oh, the nobility. And it's like, I don't care that he genuinely loves a person. Why is this shocking? Is it really shocking that somebody bad can love someone? Because let me tell you. He cried. <laughs> let me tell you, it's it's people. There's a lot. Every, almost everybody has someone or something that they very genuinely love. And there are very many people who love who are terrible shits. And if you want a good story about love and how terrible it is, go read Tagana. But that's a tangent. 
That's fine. We had the worst tension of all time while you were away. Oh, good. What was it about? Dragon Ball. Oh. <laughs> um, see, my memory is such that I'm not entirely sure where I was in my head going into this sequence. I either expected it to turn out this way or was thinking that I would write it this way if I had had the opportunity. But for the sake of linguistic ease, I'm going to say that I expected it to go this way. And that Thanos would not have anything that he could sacrifice because all that matters to him is the quest. And so long as he's alive, he can't give up the quest. It's all there is. So in order for him to give up the quest and give up what he really loves, he would have to break as a person. In that moment, the universe would be a lot against him absolutely. And he would throw himself off the cliff to show that, yes, he is giving up the quest, expecting to die when he hits the bottom. And then he wakes up with the soul stone in his hand. But it's not a victorious moment for him because the act of having to give up has planted doubt in his mind. Mm, okay. That's what I expected. I it, like that version better. It's not what happens. No, he's a sad dad. I remember thinking... Way back when Gamora was asking Peter to make a promise to her after she had indicated that she knew something about the Soul Stone. Oh, they're really going to do it, huh? I also thought that maybe, um, God, this is another thing. Um, what, what's our count? Uh, four, I believe. Because you, with this being five. You could make an argument for six, actually, because Gamora should have cut her own throat. She tried. She tried. No. She should have done it there on the ship. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, wouldn't the, the same thing have happened? No, because... Oh, you mean back on the ship. Okay. Back on the ship with Peter. Yeah. Just space herself, if she was serious about it. So that would make this six. That would make this six, in a sense, because she's the only way to get to the Soul Stone in two senses. <laughs> For the audience who's listening at home, who has not seen the movie but is listening to this podcast, I can't imagine why you're doing that. Um, what happens is that Thanos only has one thing left that he loves, and it's Gamora. And in a sequence which borders on obscene the way it focuses on Gamora's fear and helplessness... Like, and she tries to, like, bat his hand or, like, which loosen is, his hold. Which is very different from the way she normally fights. Um, like, if you could almost call the way that it treats her fear as pornographic. Uh, Thanos tearfully throws her off the cliff, and we get a really long shot of her falling to her death. And that's what Crystal meant when she said that this movie did Gamora dirty. You missed the part where... Like, when the Red Skull announces that's what's necessary, and, like, they had to do the part where Gamora's like, you don't love anything, haha. And then he starts crying, yeah. and she says, what, tears? Really? And the Red Skull says, they're not for him. And it's like, yeah, yeah, like, we, we got it, the audience, we, we got it. <laughs> He's a sad dad. Thanks. I think that scene could have been done better. Much. Oh, yeah. Even with the, like, even. Yeah, but by not doing it. Yeah, I know, I know. 
like I I said how I would have done the scene. Yeah. But and you know I I especially like it because introducing that doubt means that there's a way for him to be broken later, and that's important. But I I think that scene also could have been done better, even with the exact same weird misogynistic structure. You know, if the people who wanted to protect the stone really wanted to protect the stone from bad guys, they could have said that and then made it inaccessible for people who would kill their loves over it. Yeah. Yeah. And then then it I'm would be sure interesting they... if Thanos would be like, no, I can't kill Gamora. And, oh, and, and that then the stone, the stone shows up. Then it would give him some actual sort oh, of worthiness. That would make. Okay. Wow. Thanks. Oh, that's good. I'm glad you that's enjoyed good. it. I like that. And then he could be a sadder dadder. He could be a sadder dadder. And a better dadder. Yeah. Oh, that would make him actually sympathetic. Uh, well, more. Like, more along the continuum. He would have a sympathetic moment, rather. Yeah. Maybe it could be like a Bioware game. Where, <laughs> regardless, if, regardless of Paragon or Renegade, the other the mechanics change such that he gets the Soul Stone either way. Oh, I mean, all right. It was gotta be that if way. You take the neutral green ending. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, why doesn't Thanos just snap his fingers to combine all synthetics and organics? Oh, oh yeah. Why doesn't he just make <laughs> it so people don't have to eat or consume resources? Yeah, just not. But thinking then they would just picture. expand even more. Or make it so that they don't have to eat and they don't reproduce. I, okay. Nobody ages. Everybody's stuck as they are. I hope you like being but then neonatal child. can't evolve. You know what? Maybe they'll have this argument in the second movie. Yeah, maybe Avengers they'll do a lot of two, in the second Fixing movie. and addressing all of these weird plot threads. Okay. So are we going to call this the end of this particular timeline? Uh, Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. He So let's talk about how Than- where Thanos wakes up when he gets a soul stone. It's in a weird pool in some weird place. Is this the soul world? I think it's actually back at the base of the mountain where he and Gamora first appeared. Only now all the snow is melted. Okay. Also, is the Red Skull dead because the stone's gone? He's off to frolic elsewhere and show up in phase four. Oh, God, please. Oh, please. Oh, please. Oh, it would be so good. One thing that I think that did okay is this probably entirely due to Brolin's acting, but Thanos after this, he says at a few points that he's had a very bad day. He sells it. He sells it. He sells it. And, um, you know, you're, you're convinced that he genuinely feels so while going like, okay, yeah, Mr. Murderer, genocider. Yeah. My pain is the worst pain and no one's pain has ever been worse than mine. Yep. Who could ever know pain comparable to mine a father who has lost his daughter because he literally killed his daughter on a stone altar to get a magic rock (laughs) you should listen to the second stage turbine blade what the first album by coheed and cambria we're all right (laughs) what so i mean the opening of the second stage turbine blade is uh mayo deftenwolf general in ryan wilhelm supreme trimage's army goes to Coheed and Cambria and tells them that their children have the Monstar virus, which will destroy the universe. And they must kill their children to save the universe. And then they just do it. Alright. They don't protest very much at all. Well, like, wait, they don't even ask, like, what do you mean a virus destroys the universe? 
How does that work? Yeah, because immediately after they do it, uh, they find out that Mayo Definitely Wolf was lying. You don't say. Yeah. Well, they don't like interrogate this person at all. No. That's a funny twist. Why would he do it? Because he t- they told him to. No, I mean, like, why did he say such a thing? Oh, because uh, he needed to eliminate the iRobots, which had the cure for the actual Monstar virus, which was somewhere else. Oh, so it there is actually a Monstar virus that will destroy the universe, but this guy wants to stop the cure for the Monstar virus and proliferate. He wants to destroy the universe, and he accomplishes this by telling people they will save the universe. Well, he doesn't want to destroy the universe because when they activate the monster virus, the prize, which are basically angels, uh, come in to stop it, but all of them die. So basically their big plan was to eliminate the prize. Crystal? Uh Uh-huh. So how does the bad Peter meet up with the good Peter? (laughs) Okay, so Peter, Parker, and Iron Man, and Doctor Strange all... Just follow the ship's autopilot to the dead world of Titan. And they crash land. And then they meet up with Peter Quill and Drax and Mantis. And everybody thinks that they're fighting Thanos' troops, even though... Yeah. I guess, like, they're all wearing, like, helmets so they don't look human. That's the best thing I can say. Doctor Strange ain't wearing helmets. Right, yeah. Doctor Strange isn't. So why the... I don't know. I don't know. That this was kind of silly. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh Peter Quill makes some quip about Jesus Christ. And then Iron Man's like, "Wait, you're from Earth, aren't you?" Yeah. He's like, "What did he say? Missouri?" Missouri. He's like, "Yeah. Yeah, that's on Earth." And it's like, "Good. I'm glad that's where we are." They they really should have been able to identify each other as at least probably not Thanos's or at least as human. Right. There's an aesthetic. Well, lots of aliens look like humans. Like John C. Riley. Huh? Remember John C. Riley from Guardians of the Galaxy? No. He he just looked like a regular human, but he was a Xandarian. Oh right, yeah. Oh yeah, okay. I I guess that's fair, but like Thanos' troops also have an aesthetic that No, everybody has seen at this point, right? Yeah, everyone. Yeah. They're very um, let's say space goth. Yeah, space goth. And nobody was space goth in this scene. Anyway, excuse for a hero versus hero fight. Well, it wasn't really a fight. Scuffle. Skirmish. Skirmish. Yeah, a little skirmish. They got battle quips at each other. That's about it. And then... Scrimmage. And they're like, okay, we shouldn't fight. And everybody's like, yeah, okay, we shouldn't fight. And then they don't fight anymore. And we're going to talk about Footloose. And it's like, is it still the greatest movie of all time? And Peter's like, it never was, actually. And that was the best joke in the movie. Peter Quill sucks so much. And he gets dunked on by Peter Parker, which up to this point hadn't been possible for any of the adult characters. I just love that it never was. (laughs) Oh, it's so strong. So the Guardians know that Thanos is going to come here at some point. So they start making a plan. And Tony has a plan and Peter immediately shoots it down. Quill. Quill. Quill immediately shoots it down. Sounds good, except for it sucks. So why don't I do the plan, and that way it'll be good. And then they start arguing about the plan, and... And Mantis and what's-his-name show how incompetent they are. That was kind of funny. Mantis and Drax. Yeah, it was really funny. 
They're not very good at planning Mantis and Drax. And Quill even says, they're not very good at planning Mantis and Drax. And neither am I, but I'm going to make the plan. And Doctor Strange is over there having a magical convulsion. Yeah, he went into the future 14,206,000 times to see all the possible outcomes. Even if that was just like a second to five seconds worth of observation in each, how many years is that? Considering that this movie heavily implies that he saw all the way to the end of the second movie, um, it's more than you want to think about. Can you, like, math it for me? Sure. Hold on. Let's see. 14 million seconds is how much? That would come out to just over 2.2 years. So you're saying two... S- Wait, no. What? 2.2 years. Right, but he said 14... Million different things. And you said even if it was only just one to five seconds. So I said five seconds. Okay. About 70 million seconds. Okay. Comes out to 2.2 years. But it goes all the way to the end of the next movie, which is undoubtedly weeks away. So he was probably sitting there for literally a million years from his perception. And we could have teleported far into the future and just looked there if it was like a weird wasteland. Yeah, but he had, to, he had to actually see all the actions that were done. I guess. Yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah. There's a cut line from uh, Doctor Strange where he says that he's been fighting Dormammu for thousands of years. That's so good. Yeah, so this is not new to him. Okay. Not new at yeah, all. Yeah, it's, it's good. And I, I like this. What a good ending for that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Monica didn't like Doctor Strange. I like Doctor Strange. No, I thought well, it was okay. okay. I liked it. Doctor no. Strange was also weirdly racist. You know, yeah, that's my 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 where I tripped over Doctor Strange. Whoopsie doodle. Could have been done better, but no, I came out of it saying that it was enjoyable. Yeah, that's a two star for Monica. I I guess. And this is a one star. No, like I by enjoyable I mean like a six out of ten and up. A three star. So like that was like a six. So a three star. And then. This is a... One. Four? It's the first... You're using a video game scale. I don't know what it is, but anyway, like, this is the first one I didn't like. Anyway. 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 Uh, I do like that Strange has a plan or a observation. Yeah. That's nice. They're like, okay, so you saw 14 million different futures. How many did we win in? And he says, one. And the moment he said that, I knew how the entire rest of the movie was going to go. And also the major beats of the next movie. What are the major beats of the next one? The most major beats of the next one are that Thanos will be undone by his own power. And they'll basically have to argue him down. But who gets the kill on Thanos? No one. Or possibly Thanos. It's got to be Nebula. No, Thanos is going to reverse everything. Why? Using the Infinity Gauntlet. And the gauntlet, which is damaged at the end of this movie, will be destroyed by this reversal. And the power feedback will obliterate him utterly. Why is he going to reverse it? Because they'll make him see reason. How? The same way they always do, by talking to him. He's going to flip a coin and then there's going to be two perfect heads on it. It's going to land on the edge. Okay, that, yes. Yeah. Yeah, they swap out his coin when he's not looking. Yeah, <laughs> It goes into a large pile of other coins. He's yeah. confused. Ah, 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 ah. 
This is now Batman, the animated series yep. podcast. Um, where were we? The Guardians are making their plan. Yes, plans. They, I, I guess Doctor Strange has his plan. Yep. Which he will not reveal. But everyone will do Doctor Strange's plan. Yeah. With or without knowing about it. Without then, knowing about it, rather. And then Thanos shows up. Yeah. And then um, they have a big... At some point, Nebula shows up? Too. Yeah, Nebula shows up by crashing her ship into him, which is pretty badass. Nice. That's good. She does it at high speed. And as she was doing it, I thought, oh, it happened. Now I'm thinking about The Last Jedi, and if she had hit him at... You know, just sublight speed. Because we know these guys can travel many times faster than the speed of light. She could have killed him if she really wanted to. So maybe that's number seven. <laughs> um, oh, we missed the Thanos monologuing about Titan. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Thanos shows up and Doctor Strange is sitting there and he's like, Sup, Thanos? And Thanos is like, hey, what's up? And Strange is like, is this your home planet? And Thanos is like, oh. He has some line like, yeah, you look like a Thanos. That's good. I like that. Oh, it was, yeah, you look much more like a Thanos. Is that implying that he has a different name? I thought that was like the Guardians. He initially assumed that the Guardians were Thanos. Oh, okay, that makes and, sense. And yeah, Thanos is much more Thanos. Yeah, that, okay, yeah, I could see that. And Thanos says, oh, well, this used to be my home. And then we get to learn about his home. And it was real pretty, but there was too many people. So he came up with the great plan to... Kill off half the population. By lottery. By lottery, rich and poor alike, very dispassionately. Now, do you think he was part of that lottery? I have to imagine that he was. You assume that he is sane and rational. No, not at all. Uh, well, he's he clearly wanted himself and freaking Gamora to survive this hand-snap situation. So... I'd like to think that, no, he did not. As the proposer of this plan, he was going to see it administrated, so therefore he can't die. See, if the Because he's a hypocrite. If the only thing I got to excise was this scene, I would use this scene and turn that into the 15-minute short at the beginning of the movie. Oh. Instead of, have, instead of having him talk more about what went on, he would just say, yes, it used to be. And that would be all the setup that we get for this part. But in the past, we would see what went down with Thanos. And also, I would rewrite that part a little bit so it makes a little bit more sense. And we see that he's already given up his family so he doesn't have anything to give up when it comes time to get the Soul Stone. And as much as he thinks he loves Gamora, he doesn't love them the way that he lo loved her the way that he loved his previous family. And, you know, it would be something like that. I can't stop writing fanfic. I guess that means I really am, like, disappointed with this movie really bad. Because whenever I get super disappointed with something, I start trying to fix it. He starts writing fanfic. Leave me alone. <laughs> anyway, it's not a... So there's a there's fight. A and there's a bunch of portal stuff. It's a pretty good fight. It's actually... Yeah, it's a good I fight. I would call um, the two best action sequences in the movie, for me, take place during this fight. Um, the first of those being... Actually, both of them come after the fuck-up. So we might as well talk about the fuck up. Um, th they yeah. managed to restrain Thanos because somehow, it's never made very clear how, they know that Thanos has to close his fist to use the Infinity Gauntlet for some reason. Yeah, That's I don't not, know how they figured that out. It's not even a thing in the comics. No, I guess Peter and them noticed when they fought him. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And okay. nowhere. Okay, you should be a script doctor. Thank you. Um, 
So they manage to get him restrained and unable to close his gauntlet. And Mantis jumps on his back and starts using her powers to put him down. And, and establishes she's like the most useful character. <laughs> and he can't fight because Mantis has him locked down. He's like... And Mix says that she's this powerful because she can put Ego to sleep and he's a... Celestial planet. Yeah. Hyperspace god. And cool. He's just got such this amazing will that he almost fights his way up out of it. But Mantis is literally too strong for him. And uh, then the thing happens where while Spider-Man and Tony are tearing the glove off of Thanos' arm, they don't make it clear why it's taking so long. But it's like, I think it's coming. Uh, we've almost got this thing off. It's like, what kind of progress are you making, guys? Are you, like, unbuckling a bunch of belts on it or something? And why didn't you get your turbo laser boots to, like help or cut his arm off yeah but um so they keep well cutting his arm off would have probably woken him up yeah but it also would have taken the gauntlet away that's true so anyway um so they do this whole thing where it's not really clear why it's taking extra time to pull off the glove but in the middle of all this instead of waiting for the threat to be neutralized the bad peter comes up and is like oh where's gamora and I was just like, where's my wife? Yeah, basically, where's my wife? Where's Bane? Where's Bane? Um, I may be misremembering, but in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, isn't their relationship, like, they clearly care about each other a lot, but isn't it more ambiguous than openly romantic? Yeah, but this is four years later. I'm fine with them being close. No, they were close in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. It's just a very different relationship. Yeah, but in this movie, they openly declare their love for each other. Gamora says, I love you more than anything else in this world. That is what she says. (sighs) I'm... Yeah, it's four years after I'm okay with that. I'm not okay with Peter's reaction. Is anyone okay with Peter's reaction here? Oh, my, my brother liked this movie a fair bit more than I did. And he called it a Hall of Fame fuck-up. It's inexcusable, but it's not Peter's fault. Peter doesn't exist. It's the writer's fault. I'm not mad at Peter! Yeah. It's the (laughs) writer's fault. And how could they have decided that that was the reason, you know, Peter Quill can't keep calm for 0.5 seconds? This is one of those things where they keep doing that same callback like how Spider-Man keeps making jokes about that old movie. Peter Quill is angry and he can't control his anger. This was an empowering feature in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 where he was righteously angry about his mother. And yeah. this, he has the exact same character flaw four years later, except now it's highly detrimental. And he asks at the wrong time. You know. And he starts not shooting Thanos in the chest or something, but hitting him in the face with his gun. And he, like, mashes Mantis's fingers and she pulls her hand back out of reflex and Thanos wakes up just as they're pulling the gauntlet off. So, you know, I've, I've realized what the issue is. Oh, my God. It's... If Strange had killed Quill, Thanos would have lost the glove. So we're up to eight. Yeah. Or just restrained him. Or And really, Peter wanting to... Deciding that Gamora's life or deafness was more important than the Affinity Stones. That's a count, too. So, nine? Yeah. Anyway, this is the serial killer problem. 
that I have with any sort of fiction. Oh my god. It's the serial killer problem. This is Kilgrave all over this again. This is Kilgrave. We are going to make the stupidest mistakes so this crummy villain can get away with it for a little bit longer to stretch out the plotting. It is... Oh, I think this is worse than anything in Jessica Jones. <sighs> no. Oh. It, this is identical <laughs> to the time when Hogarth cuts the wire and something something oh, but, oh, that was so good she needed her uh, wife to sign the divorce paper that is yeah see the, you like this is like <laughs> me with Kratos it's the same kind of enjoyment and but it's a serial killer thing let's yeah, be real here Monica hates this particular trope the bad guy gets away because somebody is everybody is stupid oh anyway Peter does the bad thing, and I feel like you could you could have done this if they like they had gotten the gauntlet off, and then Peter started hitting him. But then Thanos gets the gauntlet back, even with his base strength. Or sure, maybe even Peter puts the gauntlet on and makes a mistake. Yeah, that would have been okay. Yeah, there are so many other ways. You have a reality altering. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. You can do anything with your freaking plot. You're an Be author, better. really. Yeah, that too. You're a writer. Be better. You uh, have like 34 characters at your disposal. Well, you know. Um, and they did dirty on Gamora. Goddamn. So Peter does the bad thing. And everybody suffers for it. And we get to the what I think is the other best action sequence. And it's not... The immediate effect. Uh, Thanos grabs Mantis and basically hurls her off of him like somebody getting punched in Thor Ragnarok. She flies a long fucking way and when she hits the ground, she's dead. So instead of yanking harder on the gauntlet or fighting Thanos, Peter makes the split second decision. Good Peter. To say the good Peter. Good Peter makes the split second decision to save Mantis, and it's like, okay, I believe that. That yes. mo- Where it's like, the motive to save someone instead of anger is a much better reflexive reason for me to believe that they would fuck up. But it's also number nine. Okay, whatever. I think we're up to ten. Ten? ten number ten. Ten now. I don't know, some of those, some some of those, those are those weak. Okay. I think, if we, I think if we trim out all the her-her ones, I think we're down to like six now. Okay. Yeah, it's it's going to be a high number no matter what. Any of any number above one would have been high, uh, but we're at six hard ones. So um, Peter goes after Mantis and catches her, and then uses his extendable robotic spider legs to catch himself in a roll while holding Mantis against his body. And it's actually a really cool-looking sequence, right? I love that shot. It's the best shot in the whole movie to me. And then Thanos is flinging everyone around, and lots of people are unconscious. And the combined sequences of Spider-Man swinging around saving everyone is actually my favorite action sequence. Yeah, that's good. It reminds me a lot of that sequence in Iron Man 3 with the airplane. It's really good. I love it. Especially because it's Peter saving other heroes and they manage to make it funny still. Because he's like, okay, I got you. And I got you too. I'm sorry I don't remember anybody's names. This was a good fight scene. It's actually a really good fight scene. Yes. Because then Doctor Strange shows up. And apparently he was holding back against the Ebony Maw because he cuts loose for fucking real against Thanos, who at this point has four of the Infinity Stones and holds him back. 
without his own Infinity Stone. Specifically without using the Time Stone. Like, he goes into some imagery that I actually thought, like, that's appropriating some serious uh, Hindu and Buddhist imagery that maybe they shouldn't have necessarily done, but it still looks kind of cool. And then he turns into, like, 30 of himself, and he has a magic fight with Thanos, and he, like, turns away the reality-altering blast with his magic, and he establishes, okay, Doctor Strange is the baddest motherfucker, and so long as he's around, that's not going to happen. Maybe they have a chance no matter what's going on. And he ultimately loses, and Thanos is like, you managed to do all that, and you never used your best weapon. And he takes the eye of agamotto and he crushes it which means that strange specifically took the protective spell off of it yes and and he's like this is a fake and strange is like aha i'm a wizard and then iron man shows up and he fights thanos and it's actually really cool because he's using his nanotech which is like the ultimate version of iron man from some version of the comics and it turns into all these really cool weapons. And you can tell he's been saving this stuff specifically for a fight like this one. This is God-killing weaponry. He's because he saw it coming. He saw all this coming. And he throws down. And it's the coolest fight scene that Iron Man has ever had. And uh, and he loses because he's fighting a guy who's basically God at this point. I, but it's a good fight. Can I interject to say, I don't know how I feel about... Tony's, like, sort of PTSD symptoms being just, oh, he was, like, seeing Thanos. I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, that's how it was the whole time. He was seeing what would happen if the invasion worked. I guess. I, th- I was thinking it much more like shell shock, like, battles and the fear of actually dying. It was both. It was definitely that in Iron Man 3. Oh, yeah. but it's, And then they turned it into, like, a, you know. It could be both. I guess it could be both. Yeah, it's, both. Yeah, it's okay. definitely both. But, okay. you know, it would be really good to blame Thanos for that. Okay. I, I, I thought that... Here's the thing about Tony. His character arc in this movie makes sense. Of all the characters in this film, his is probably the best treated. For himself. Yeah. And not, like, Pepper. Uh, And also Strange. Doctor Strange also gets it pretty yeah. good in this movie. But yeah, uh, Tony fights and he loses and... um, You really think he's going to bite it? You genuinely think he's going to be beaten to death and it's going to be the most impactful, most earned death in the entire MCU up to this point. That he definitely would not come back from. They cut out the good punch from the trailer. They cut out the punch and they also cut out the line about putting a smile on his face, I think. Yeah. Which is fine, but it's like... um, you know, I thought going into this, okay, this is going to be it. The moment where they earn everything. This is the exact opposite of them killing Gamora. Killing Tony at this moment after that fight where he's trying to save the world and he's being really selfless and fighting past his fear. Just, that would have been... I love how Tony, like, is slowly running out of nanomachines during this fight. It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. And he's, like, trying to redistribute them in the best way possible, even when that means leaving his head vulnerable and leaving his legs vulnerable. And it's really dynamic. And a lot of the action sequences in this movie, mostly just the fight in Wakanda, were a little bit disappointing. But everything that takes place on Titan is really fun to watch. It's a good death. My favorite part of the Doctor Strange fight is when he, like, 
summons a portion of the mirror dimension to push back Thanos. It's so good because Thanos turns power and reality and space. And what was the other one he had? Soul. Friendship. <laughs> he doesn't really use soul. And though. soul against Doctor Strange. And Doctor Strange pulls out the mirror dimension and shoves back. And it's enough. It's enough. Oh, it's. Why didn't he just trap him in the mirror dimension? Because it's not part of his plan? I guess. Yeah, I guess. That's a, that's a really convenient uh, plot device. Now here's the problem with Doctor Strange that's highlighted by this plan problem. And that when you see what Doctor Strange can actually do while the enemy is limited in any way, Doctor Strange has a solution to that fucking problem. There's... Why didn't he just put the soul, uh, time stone into the mirror dimension? He has to protect it no matter what. That is protecting yeah. it. No. Because someone else could get in there. And yeah. Wizards if, go in there all can, the time. Can't they shut the part of the mirror dimension? No. no. Wait. Well, can they make like personal rooms in the mirror dimension? I thought they could. Oh, you might be right. I vaguely remember something like that. Anyway, this is part of the problem. Okay. Doctor Strange has a lot of solutions to all the things. Yeah. And it, that fight sequence was so cool, though. But back to Tony... It was a good death and an earned death. And it would have been... And a significant death. And we would have all felt it. And we all would have come back from that movie feeling different if he had died. Yeah. And then Strange is like, hold up. I'll give you the stone if you spare his life. And Tony's like, I beg your fucking pardon? And Strange <laughs> is like, here you go. And Thanos is like, ah! That's number seven. What's that? Number seven. Yeah. I kind of... Yeah, but... That's like, a hard if, seven. Yeah, but... He, at least he had a plan over this. Yeah, he did. This was to get the, yeah, the ending that dumb. he had seen, the good outcome. Yeah. So this is really him working against anyway, but Yeah, it's it's a I guess it's soft. We're at like six and a half. It's still the same trope of the same actions, so Yeah. yeah. It's still seven. But like This whole plan conceit sucks. I know. It sucks everything out of the movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, so does the infinity gauntlet. Yeah. Yeah, the first problem with this story is the Infinity Gauntlet. Period. Anyway, so he gives it up and uh, Thanos is like, ha ha ha, and then he teleports away. And I think that's the last of the timeline mergers. So now we're in the dirt in Wakanda. Yeah, Thanos appears and he messes people up pretty bad. Except that before Thanos shows up, um, Thor Thor shows up and Thor has his axe. So we've undone three major things from Thor Ragnarok. Uh, mm, I feel I would have preferred if he was entirely weaponless, but this is highly preferable to bringing back Mjolnir. No, absolutely. Don't get me wrong about that. But can follow me on this one just for a little bit. Suppose that instead of building Stormbreaker... Thor's story had been about forging himself in some kind of trial that wasn't that maybe Odin had done in the past. Maybe it would even be okay. the same thing where he's blasted in the heart of a neutron star to awaken the fullness of the Thor force within himself. Because one of the points of Ragnarok is that he never ne- are you the god of hammers? No. The power is within him. And a product of himself. The hammer was only ever a focus, and he never truly needed it. He's the god of axes. So, fuck. So, suppose that instead of making an axe, 
Thor had awoken to his full and unbroken strength. And everything that he did in the latter half of the movie, instead of doing it with Stormbreaker, he did it with his fucking hands. Yes. If he was no longer Thor Odinson, but Thor Allfather. Would that not have been the sickest direction to take that character? Yep. Oh, oh, I got mad when I realized they could have done that. Oh, man. So Thor shows up and um, the battle no longer makes any sense as soon as Thor shows up. But no, they're still fighting. When does Scarlet Wish join the fight? Um, uh, it's after some bad guys get into Sherry's room. Yeah. No, no, no. No, no, it's before because it's before. they launch into... No, okay, yeah. This was all a ploy to get her away. What they do is they send the underground machines that can surpass Wakanda's barrier. And what I also like is that the lady with the blue hair just lied about Corvus being dead or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that was yeah. actually pretty decent. Good lie. Good lie. Good lie, though. She shouldn't be able to lie well because something, something. No, I mean, like, that's a married people kind of lie. <laughs> okay. That's the plan we would have come up with if we yeah, were those characters. But there's Thanos' children, so they shouldn't be Whatever, able to... man. Okay, whatever. Like, he didn't get them as children, I'm okay. sure. Okay, fine. Or he didn't teach them well on the not teaching them thing. Sure. But anyway. he's not their favorite. So... Yeah. Everything's gone to shit, and Wanda flies out, and that's when Corvus Glaive reveals, Ha ha! I am not dead, like Proxima said, and he attacks. And Shuri gets off, like, four shots with her blaster before she's taken out, and uh, Corvus managed to kill a lot of Wakandan women in this scene somehow. And, uh-huh. yeah. Uh, and, and then Vision's up, and he's fighting. But let's celebrate the happy thing about this in that Scarlet Witch joins the fight, and then Okoye gives her great line about why was this woman... <laughs> well, it's like, why was she back there? <laughs> yeah, that was great. Yeah, that was pretty good. Because when she shows up, she completely changes the flow of the battle. Yeah. Like, she picks up all the underground tunneling machines and smashes them. And it's like, wow, you're way too powerful to be on the bench. Yeah, but we yeah we immediately get the answer as to why she was back there in that... Um, the bad guys wanted her to be away. And then Thor shows up, and he's got the fullness of his sort of Thor powers. And um, he destroys part of the army, and Bruce Banner, who, by the way, is a complete nothing in this movie, he manages to kill one of the Black Order, but it's like, I think that I haven't... I didn't enjoy Ruffalo's performance very much in this one, actually. How did he get the Iron Man thingy? That isn't a question that they address. How did it show up? Tony isn't around to point he, out where it is. He called Happy. Okay. I, here's another thing. Um, why does this random white guy get a big suit of power armor just to march in the battle? He's yeah. not a good. Well, maybe he'll Hulk will figure out a way to come. He's out. not a good fighter. No, he's not. He probably should have been in the room with um with Shuri. Yeah. Yeah, he could have been Shuri's assistant. He could yeah. have. That would have worked fine. I mean, he did get that one kill on the big guy, but... I mean, they could no, they could have shifted it so that he got to face off with Corvus and just really couldn't hulk it. Yeah. That would have been a fine scene with zero dead black women. Well, can't have that. <sighs> anyway. And the problem with Thor showing up in this sequence is that as soon as Thor shows up and... Bruce Banner goes, aha, you guys are screwed now, is that they are screwed because Thor can kill pretty much anything within a 500 meter radius of him 
and he can kill thousands of creatures simultaneously, and he does in later shots. He doesn't lightning as much as he did in Ragnarok, which is disappointing. But he does it a few times. Yeah. And he can clearly do it a lot more. He just doesn't. But what's to stop Thor from just going to the breach and standing there and roasting every ground troop that tries to come in? Yeah. You can't... Whatever. I'm complaining too much about fights in this movie, but I did enjoy a lot of the other fights. Okay, we gotta get to the end of this. Okay, so then Thanos... I don't think this fight was worth any of the build-up. No. Oh, no, then they decide it's it's really important that the Vision should die. Yes. Well, they're out of time. Yes, but they gotta. And Wanda, sorry, you gotta be the person who, who does this. Uh, they decide this specifically when Thanos himself shows up after his army has been routed. And there's this moment of quiet. Or like, did we do it? And then it's like Vision feels in the mind gem. He's like, he's coming. And he says to Wanda, "You have to end it now." And one, I like this. And Wanda's like, "We're like Vision saying it's it's not fair that it has to be like this. It's not fair that it should be you, but it has to be." That is good. I like, like that. Yeah. Like the guy who plays Vision sells this. I think that any problems with the Wanda and Vision scenes are down to directorial problems. They didn't resonate with me very much. And the scenes of all the heroes one by one trying to stop Thanos' march is also good. Yeah, but what's Thor doing during all of this? Prepping his you big know, punch or axe hit. He's swinging the axe a sure. lot to make sure it hits good. He's chopping down some trees to test that edge. I like the rationale that the explanation I read somewhere I think it was on the forums where the reason that Wanda can destroy the Infinity Stone is because she was empowered by another Infinity Stone. Well, the same Infinity Stone. Her the power, same one? Her power was uh, granted to her by the mind. I can't gem. keep track of all the... I thought it was I'm, the blue one. No, it's it's the orange-yellow one. Okay. The yellow-yellow one. Okay. The blue one is... You know what? It doesn't you know, even matter. I know the cube, right, but... You're probably confusing it because it was inside Loki's scepter, which is blue. Yeah, no, I... I thought that the scepter, they use a scepter to power up the twins, but... That is yeah, correct. It is. The scepter is the Mind Stone. Because oh. the Mind Stone was a yellow gem inside of the blue, blue. rock. No, you can't do... You can't change the colors on me. That's all I have going. <laughs> the cube consistency. Okay. Oh, boy. Yeah. So we've hit the root of this. Shoot. Okay. Wow. So tell... Do you like this scene, Crystal? Uh-huh. She sure did keep refusing a bunch in spite of the fact that um, the Destroyer is right over there. This is seven. Eight? Eight. Eight. Yeah, eight. Eight. It's hard eight. It's it's, it's her boyfriend. What do you want? Listen, I turned to Monica (laughs) in the theater and I said, I promise if it comes down to you versus half the universe, I will pull the trigger. And she says, me too. It's not really a question. No, like sorry, Cam. Can you not imagine? Sorry, Cam. Can you imagine having to live with the guilt, knowing that your life could have saved half the universe? It's essentially like sacrificing. It's sacrificing your happiness. Yeah, you know. I'm not going to care. I'm dead. Yeah. No. 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 I mean. No. 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 I mean, like killing the other. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Right. Like, if you kill me, yes. I'm not going to care. Right. I'm just going to be unhappy. It's like I'm sorry you have to bear that burden. Right. But my unhappiness against the rest of the universe, it doesn't make sense. No. 
Can you tell we've been married a long time? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I like thinking about the yellow ending to Mass Effect 3 and what Shepard refuses to take a deal. I like thinking about the conversation that Commander Shepard would have with Admiral Hackett <laughs> as they walk out of the building. Yeah. It's like, like, and he goes back to the one person who's support, like, Shepard goes back to the one person who supported them throughout this entire thing and tries to tell Liara this, like, no, I had an opportunity, but I just, like, you know. You see, it wouldn't have been a moral victory. We wouldn't have, um, you know, I, I, I didn't like any of the choices presented, and honestly, I thought that they were too binary. Yeah. So goodbye. <laughs> but Thanos beats up all the Avengers, even Captain America. With one punch. With one punch. And Wanda does destroy the Mind Stone. And uh, Thanos offers some kind words to her. Like, I understand what you're going through. He does literally. And then she, again, we do have to do the, oh no, you could never understand. Hey, audience, he understands. Tap, tap uh, on the, the movie, nose. The movie did do that one for sure. Um, I would have been okay if Cap died fighting Thanos. I wouldn't have because he didn't get role. any fucking lines do... in this movie. I know. Yeah, Cap didn't have an arc. No, like if they, I'm, I'm what I'm really saying here is I would have been okay if they gave Cap an arc in this and then killed him here. It would have been perfectly heroic. Yes. I would have been okay if they made a good movie. <laughs> oh, dear. That would have been fine by me. Yeah. Oh, we keep having all these fixes, and Crystal's is the greatest fix of all. She grabs the Triforce and says, <laughs> a good movie. <laughs> Everything good. <laughs> you made a Link to the Past wish. Good job. Broader is better. Yeah. So Thanos uses the Time Stone to reverse time and, and bring vi- the Vision back to life and then kill him. Yeah. By ripping his frontal lobe out. It's actually pretty gruesome as robot deaths go. Yeah. And then he straight up Optimus Primes. What? Uh, okay, I guess you didn't care about Transformers and Crystal was too young. But in the original Transformers movie, when Optimus Prime dies after passing on um, what is essentially the soul of leadership, um, his the whole cosmic. body turns gray. Oh, and goes limp, which is exactly what happens to Vision. Okay. And I thought, huh, I wonder if that's on purpose. And then I thought, is was he gray in Age of Ultron? No. He was never gray? I don't think so. Okay, so he did Optimus Prime then. Even if it wasn't conscious, yeah. maybe the, the design team had it subconsciously. It was very big for people who would be dads right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, and he gets the mind gem, and he puts it in. Now he has all the power. But then Thor stabs him. Let's not skip over it here. Then Thor remembers that he's supposed to be fighting Thanos, and he comes flying in, and Thanos is like, I have all the gems now. There's literally nothing that can stop me. And he shoots him with this brilliant white beam of infinite power. And... Thor basically goes infinity plus one sucker and cuts through it with his special axe. And then he throws the axe, which continues cutting through the beam of infinite power and buries itself in Thanos's chest up to the hilt. And it's like, wait, hold on. What first fucking happened? 
He cut through the infinitely powerful beam. Infinity plus one? Yes. Okay. That's just how strong this axe is. I guess so, yes. It's more powerful than the infinity gauntlet, but the only thing it can do is cut. Yes. Okay. And it's specifically, it's a metal that it can be melted by a neutron star. So I guess we've established. But it's magically infused too. Is it? Sure. It's okay. magic metal. Okay. But does that mean the infinity gauntlet is not as powerful it's not as, as magic as a neuron star? N- neutron? Neutron star. No, it's way more powerful. I'm just measuring things that can beat each other. No, right? no, no. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. But Stormbreaker cuts through the Infinity Gauntlet's power and hits Thanos in the chest. And Thor comes down and he's like, I... What was the line that he said? You should have aimed for my head. No! You're skipping ahead. I'm talking about Thor's line. I don't keep track. I said something like, I, I told you I'd kill you for oh, yes. oh, yeah. He said that he would die for killing Heimdall. And... Then Thanos, who is very clearly, actually, and genuinely dying. (laughs) You should have aimed for the head. And then he closes his fist, and the movie basically ends. I really like the sense of disorientation and confusion in the next few minutes following this. Yeah, that particular sense is pretty good. They managed to capture how that would be in this, what is essentially an adaptation of of the hit Christian novel series Left Behind. <laughs> it was meaningless and it was... I knew it was coming. We'll get into this in a second. Um, okay. So after it cuts to white, it cuts back to Thanos in the soul world or whatever this is. <laughs> yeah. And baby Gamora is there. Yes. And he says he did it. What did it cost you? It cost me everything. Uh, huh, huh, huh. I'm I'm a, I'm a hard man with sad feelings. Such a sad dad. Big sad dad. And then it cuts back to real life where Thor says, what did you do? What did you do? And Thanos disappears into a portal and all the Avengers are confused and no one knows what's going on. And then is it Bucky or Sam who dies first? It's Bucky. Okay, it's Bucky. He says, Steve, there's something wrong. And he turns to Ash. Yep. He just blows away in the wind. <sighs> See who? Let me count all the. I got the wiki oh, good. up here. Good job. See Bucky, Sam, T'Challa, Groot, Wanda, Peter Quill, uh, Drax, Mantis, Doctor Strange, and Peter Parker, who has the most tragic of the deaths because he's just he's he begging did a great not job. to go. Tom Holland is really good at playing the scared kid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was really affecting. I do want to say, well, actually, I might as well let Monica say it. Uh, when when did, did T'Challa bite it? He was like the third or fourth. I think it was the third or fourth. Yeah, third or so. That's when you knew that this was bullshit. Yeah. Like, Monica <laughs> didn't know the Infinity Gauntlet story up to this point. Well, no, I, well, yeah, no, I don't. Yeah. I still don't know the Infinity Gauntlet story. Was it this? Ba- kind okay. of. Well, I knew that... I went into this movie thinking Thanos is going to kill half of the team, okay? And yes, if Thanos snaps and kills half the team, that's fine, okay? But I need deaths to have meaning and to last. And up to this point in this universe, death has mattered. People that are dead generally stay dead unless they're a trickster and weren't actually dead or whatever. Yeah, or they're Nick Fury. 
Um, you could still get into realm of the. He's believable. a trickster. He's a trickster. Yeah, he's a trickster. But like, and this is with the the TV show not counting. So Coulson is dead. Right. Uh, they they had enough stuff to justify. Yeah. That. Anyway, okay. but whatever. Death has meaning, and then T'Challa bit it, and then I'm like, no. You're going to undo this. And then Peter Parker bit it, and I'm like, fat chance. <laughs> yeah, notably, they killed all the new characters and left all of the original Avengers. Uh, and it's like, Because no. that's who we want to see in the end is the old crew. But not, let's be real. Okay. Not, Bucky. Not Spider-Man. Bucky bit it, and then I was like, I know that guy has a contract like for like six more movies. <laughs> So, but your suspension of disbelief. Like, I can, I can, I can allow it. They, they made a fake contract, but no, no, T'Challa. No, he coming. No, we still got he those just two sequels. Had his first movie. <laughs> That's stupid. Unless you know, maybe Shuri will be the Black Panther. But let's be real here. That's probably not going to happen. Even though that would be cool. A Chadwick Boseman's coming back. I know, I know, but it's like okay. So what you're saying is the deaths don't matter, and this is all going to be reversed in the next movie. This movie was pointless. Yes, there's going to be a couple yeah. of minor movies. Nope. That will come out in the meantime. One movie. Um, Ant Man and the Wasp and Captain uh, Marvel. Captain Marvel, which Ant- might not even be set. Ant yeah. Man, neither of which are minor, but they are set before this. Ant Man and the Wasp takes place uh, like months or weeks before. Captain Marvel takes place in the nineties. Yeah. Okay. So one movie in the meantime, but all of this movie was pointless. But Doctor Strange has a plan. Okay. I, I feel... Please see the next movie. Please, God. We could have just trimmed it down. Why don't we trim down this movie to 15 minutes? Thanos has taken over and gotten all of the Infinity Gems. We don't see it. And the last gem is, you know, time. the Time Stone. And You have to stop him. And Doctor Strange hands it over and says, I've got a plan. <laughs> oh, hey. It's exactly everything we needed from this movie. Yeah. And now it's just one movie, and, and maybe they won't make Mad Bucks times two. They'll just make it times one. But then I wouldn't have a shit Marvel movie. Yeah, I paid to see a full uh, movie. I, I was okay with... And they even, like, talked about... Like, they changed the title from part one because it was apparently misleading. And actually, these would be, like, two separate complete movies, which is not true. I'm actually kind of mad that I just realized... That it's likely that they have the roster cut up this way because they think audiences want to see what is primarily the original team take on Thanos. And it's like, I specifically did not want to see the original team. I want the original team to, you know, get some trimming. And it's going to be the new team because they're going to carry it to make themselves, you know... Uh, prove that they have worth for Phase 4 and onward. You know who audiences care about a lot? Who? The Black Panther. Yes. Oh, I feel very awkward about all of the new fans that were brought in. The ones that came for Black Panther and then had ten sentences worth yeah. of the entire cast there. I haven't read anything angry about the treatment of Wakanda. Well, we haven't read anything yet. yet. I've been keeping track. No, no articles have appeared yet. Okay. It hasn't been a whole weekend yeah. yet. But I imagine, I don't know, maybe they will have some patience because, you know, nobody, nobody outside of everybody else 
um, knew that Black Panther was going to be a, th- a thing. But still. I'm not blowing it out of proportion in my head or anything, though. Like, that movie piled black bodies high. This movie, yeah. And, okay, yes, I say that movie, but I mean Avengers, Infinity War. And it's constructed in such a way that the vast majority of the visible body count is going to be Wakandans. Yeah, so I'm waiting for an article on the route. And you know what? Coming into this movie, the Marvel Cinematic Universe had, I think, uh, six black male characters who you could consider really important. Heimdall, Sam, T'Challa, Rhodey, Nick Fury. Oh, God, I'm blanking on the last one. Oh, and Umbaku. <laughs> and the only ones who came out of this movie alive were Rhodey and Umbaku, who were by far the least important, except for Sam, I guess. But it don't sit good with Rhodey me. Rhodey is a bit less important than Sam, I'd say. I like Rhodey. I do. To be really clear, I like Rhodey a lot. But we lost two-thirds of the MCU's major black men in this movie. Because, uh, spoilers for the post credit scene, Nick Fury also gets dusted. <sighs> and so does Maria Hill, because God knows these movies haven't shit on her hard enough. Yeah. The camera, what if dusting actually just means they are transported to an alternate universe? Yeah, I did. <laughs> you know why? You know what? That would be better, in a way, because, one... It means death still means something. Yeah. Two, there's less that needs to be reversed. And three, it means T'Challa, because they're going to rapidly reshoot a lot of this shit after the Black Panther showing, is going to kick Thanos' ass. Well, see, it would also mean four, Thanos thought a couple of minutes and said, I have a gauntlet that can do anything why am I killing off half the population to have to kill half the population again in a hundred years? Why don't I just double the resources? By making two universes. Or make two universes. Yeah, two literally two universes. Or, or anything. Yeah, it. do you think that explanation is very likely, Crystal? There, so, there have been a lot of theories based on some of the set photos from Avengers 4. That suggests the movie's going to be about traveling to alternate universes, which is, I think, further supported by Strange's plan. How's that? Because he traveled to a bunch of alternate futures. I suppose, but that doesn't sound like quite the same thing to me. So, um... I don't quite... I I did think about the alternate dimension thing on my own as a possibility, but then... The whole dusting thing doesn't seem like a teleportation. That seems like, you know, you dusted them Uh, into ashes. Send them to an alternate universe called hell. (laughs) Called being dead. Man, I've mentioned my little brother a lot in this episode of the podcast. I don't think I've mentioned him at all in a previous episode, but I just talked to him about this movie this morning. And I talk to him about a lot of the shit that ends up going on in this podcast. But he and I have a bet going about the way that Mm. the next movie will turn out. And basically, I'm betting that they're going to go whole hog on the Infinity Gauntlet adaptation here. Where Thanos, for whatever reason, is going to reverse everything. All the way back to the Asgardians being slaughtered. 
and everything will be exactly as it would have been as if he had never launched his campaign. So that all deaths in this, not just the dustings, but like Heimdall and Gamora. They're back. Were meaningless. Yes, they were all meaningless. Absolutely. But it's also going to remove the mechanics by which death is um, made meaningless. And it will turn Infinity War into a self-contained story that can be safely ignored. So they might as well just not have had. Yes. From our perspective. Okay. Now, what my brother is betting is that there will be a reversal, but only of the people who were dusted. And all the other deaths, Gamora, Heimdall, they will remain. The stakes are a milkshake. I hope your brother wins. Uh, I hope I win. I I guess in some sense because like I like Gamora. I like... You know, Asgard and Heimdall's Wakandans great. being alive. And I like Heimdall, yes. So it'd be great if they were not dead. But just, it would make it so pointless. I will say that there's one way in which I will accept Heimdall remaining dead. And that's if in... Since Loki will also be forever dead. God, I forgot Loki's dead. Um, Since Loki will also be forever dead, bring him back journey into mystery style where the person who returns is kid loki an almost completely different character with very different motivations it's like loki reincarnated into a better person but with many of the same character aspects and you would still have heimdall but he would be important to kid loki's journey because now he is the keeper of hellheim the guardian of the dead is this like reboot what you know, when everybody resets and then there's a Kid Enzo. Sure, it's kind of like that. Yeah, okay. But not if Kid Enzo came back and he was cooler. Okay. Yeah, but no, it's like I, I would take Heimdall being dead if Heimdall is the guardian of Helheim. And that's the only reason I would accept it. But no, I hope I'm right. Crystal, what do you think will happen in the next it- movie? Hmm. I think they will transfer from Earth... 1,000, what, 199,999 to Earth 200,000. But the TV shows will be set, will be left behind. And the universe will have X-Men. <laughs> so you're thinking that they wipe the TV shows? And Galactus. No, they're not wiping them. They're just set in the old universe. Oh, I see. With no superheroes. Uh-huh. Wait, so all of the superheroes are left? Or leave? Well, Crystal, I don't know why well, I you won't take this question this. seriously, but fine. <laughs> oh, well, I don't know what's going to happen. I do think there will be some alternate universe stuff going You've on. You've read the story. Do you think it, there's going to be a reversal? Oh, there will definitely be a reversal. How extreme will it be? Uh, all the ashed people, for sure. For sure. Mm, I could see someone else getting the gauntlet and bringing back unashed people. See, what I'm saying is that Thanos will reverse time completely no i don't think they're gonna do oh, that wow we'll see maybe i'll owe you a milkshake i think this movie will will it will not be sonic the hedgehog it will remain in the canon i i think what will happen is the people that are currently alive uh, most of them would be okay with giving their life most of them really would want to give their life for another person who is ashed and so they will swap that's an interesting prediction. Yeah, I can see something like, like Tony that. would give up his life for Peter. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Akoi would definitely die for T'Challa. They better fucking not. I know. I don't want that, but like, whatever. Steve's going to do it for would- Bucky. Oh my god. There's clear people who would do it for the people who were ashed. Oh my fucking god. There we god. go. No. No, 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 but no, no. It happens. No. It's so obvious. No, this is. Mm-mm. No. It's too logical. And it fits in with the whole sacrifice theme. Yep. Would oh you give up your life? Yada, yada. Oh, Jesus. It's thematic. It's going to happen. It's going to be what it is. I still think that mine is going to be what it is. Okay, I'm enjoying the milkshake bet. Because at heart, this is a Jim Starlin story. So you don't think that it's going to be a straight reversal at all. So what, do me and my brother have to It is a straight reversal. Everybody who is Ash of the heroes. But other people who are Ash, the other half of the universe doesn't come back. No, I think they will still come back through arbitrary reasons. But there's some reason for the other people who are Ash. So I have to buy you and my brother a milkshake. Yes. Do I get two milkshakes if I win? Yes. Oh, okay. Um, Crystal, do you want in on this bet? Uh, not really. You don't want a milkshake? I'll buy you a milkshake. No, I don't want a milkshake. Oh, okay. I guess that's fine. Uh. <laughs> I would just like to see some media explore the period of time between the ashing and the reversal of the ashing. Maybe. Yeah. What do you think, Crystal? You are our um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. person. Are they going to at the end of this season disappear half of the crew i I know i've Um, heard a lot of people say it's pretty late to institute that but what are your thoughts so they are doing an infinity war tie-in but in a way that they clearly were not privy to any of the details of the plot Uh but there is like a war coming and something and stuff like that uh i don't think they're gonna do the ashing it seems like it's all be, all set in 2017 while this is in 2018. Hmm. Okay, so it could never get to this point. Yeah. That's a shame. But maybe it will be in season six, referenced at least. I was thinking... Or something, I don't know. I was thinking that it's theoretically possible to not divulge the plot of um, Infinity War and then just say like, okay, in this scene, these people, half the cast are here and they're just going to be very surprised... <laughs> Yeah. Or like Steve's, there's a, Is that how you think they feel? Yeah, like? there's going to be like they really ex- or they really expect Mr. Bad Guy, I don't know what's going on in this season. I don't know anything about Agents of Shield actually. Very plot critical person to do something, only all of a sudden they're gone. There's no explanation. No explanation. But, you know, suddenly everything is resolved. Yeah, they don't need to actually explain anything. It's just like, okay, you know, guy had a detonator for a bomb that he was pressing. And okay, guy's no longer there. Be surprised. And that's that doesn't spoil Infinity War while getting you the scene you want. So I without knowing anything, which is the greatest position to be in. Let me know if I'm anywhere close to being right. Probably not. Probably. They were they're saying they were going to write this season as if it was the final one. Wow. So, Crystal, you mentioned you wanted to see a story that explored what life is like after the wiping. Yes. May I recommend to you the books by two authors, Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins, uh, the Left Behind series, over 63 Uh. million copies sold. Okay. I mean, I was thinking more like Luke Cage season two. Oh, you know what? That would be much better. No one read Left Behind. (laughs) What about, what about, it's the Defenders and like 
the the only one out of the four defenders that disappeared was Iron Fist. He's like the one person who isn't brought back when they reverse the thing. It's like, oh, the gems broke right before we got to Danny. Who's Danny? I don't know. So we didn't actually finish describing this movie. Yeah, we didn't. Thanos' gauntlet is burnt out, but it's still functional because he can make a portal. He teleports to another planet. He appears to be fully healed, and he watches the sunset. I really felt like then, there should have been some like unsettling music or something just to communicate that things are not all right. But he's the he's the hero of the story. <sighs> he's the main character. You were saying, Crystal. Uh, then it cuts to credits, and it's a very somber credits where even the title is ashed away. And you said like. They ashed away the first the first post credit. They scene. did. They did. Yeah, but then the post post credit scene is Nick Fury and Maria Hill in the car. They're talking about some alien signals in Wakanda. Then a car crashes in front of them, and Nick Fury investigates, and there's no one in it. And he turns behind him, and there's a helicopter crashing to a building because there's no one in it, and everyone's getting ashed away, and Maria Hill gets ashed away, Ooh. and Nick Fury starts getting ashed away, but he pulls out a pager. And he presses the page button, and he gets ashed away. And then it zooms in on the page button, and it's the Captain Marvel logo. How do we do for this movie? How do we do? Yeah. What do you mean, how do we do? Well, one, how do we do in terms of getting through it? It took us, like, four, four hours. hours. That was longer than the movie. Well, that kind of stands to reason. But, like, okay, ultimate thoughts on the movie. It's bad. Yeah, I came out... And I knew that I did not like it. And I was shocked because very consistently, I have liked all of the Marvel movies. And I was like, this this was the one that was going to be disappointing. The most ambitious crossover of all time. Do either of you feel differently about the movie than when we started? Listening to us in the past few hours, I feel like I dislike it more. <laughs> yeah. I dislike him. Okay, so it helped crystallize your issues. Yes. And I rarely have I ever had a movie conform so exactly to everything I was worried it was going to do. Yeah. And I was so sure that they were going to fix all of the weird issues with the comics, as all of these have just completely wiped out or ignored parts of the comics canon and to, to the great benefit of everything. And the they ignored the canon to uh, Thanos' detriment. Yeah. And I, the second thought that I had after going, I did not like this movie, was how do I carefully state myself without lying to my coworkers who haven't seen it but are big fans, so that I also do not ruin their experience. So she asked me, <laughs> and the answer, as it turns out, was just to say it was entertaining. I didn't say that. What did you today. say? Well, today I actively avoided the person. Oh, that's a <laughs> who, different, that's a very different solution. Yeah. Um, I mean, a coworker asked me how the movie was and I said it was disappointing, but she doesn't care about the Marvel um, movies. She hasn't seen Black Panther yet. But then the coworker who's really into the stuff but couldn't see it uh, texted me to ask and I said that it was complicated, but we would talk about it on Monday. It's still going to be complicated. I think she's going to be hype over Captain Marvel, but 
Most people really enjoy this movie. This podcast <sighs> is going to fall well outside the norm. Yeah, that's okay. She was also betting that Cap was going to die and possibly Tony. I think she's going to be angry that it kept the status quo characters alive. But I hope she sees it and the same way that I do in that death is meaningless in this. So whatever. Uh, there, there was a pair of, well, not a pair. There was three very young teenage girls right next to us. They would have been about 12 to 13. And when the last words of the movie pop up, uh, Thanos will return. The girl in the center of them says, Loki, Loki will return. I don't care about Thanos. <laughs> That's good. I also heard some... I mean, he probably will. I heard some really loud crying when Bucky vanished. The The only way that Loki is coming back is if they do the full reversal. Uh, yeah. That's just why I think that they won't, because also um, Tom Hiddleston has done as much as he could for that role. No, I think he will reincarnate into Kid Loki. Yeah, that would be fine. Is that a thing in the comics? Oh, it absolutely is. Oh, that's why. See, that, I don't really know it as a thing, so I'm very confused by your That's, that's called, uh, the, the, that series of comics was called Journey into Mystery, and it is arguably the best set of superhero comics ever written. Huh. Like, if you put it in a March Madness bracket, I would have a lot of different comics that I would put it past. So, but the kid Loki that comes back is not like current Loki. No. Loki. Okay. No, he's so, literally a clean slate. That won't do it for the fangirls. They want Hiddleston. Yeah, but what if he's cute? Oh, kid and teen Loki are very popular. They are. Oh, okay. Way popular. Okay. Like, teen Loki is actually Tom Hiddleston Loki. Oh, okay. Basically. Cool. just Just a little bit younger. Anyway, we're all tired. I think we're done with this episode of this movie that two of us hate and one of us is mostly okay with, but is uh, hoping they turn the entire thing so it didn't happen. That sounds like hate. Cameron, where can we find you online? You can find me on Twitter, at CamWriter. Where can people send us questions about the Legend of Zelda series? For any Legend of Zelda series related questions, please send an email to at... Uh, God damn it! That's Book of Medora Podcast at gmail.com. Yes, thank you. I actually forgot. Book of Medora Podcast at gmail.com. You can find me at Arcane Crystal. You can find me on the Let's Plays podcast on audioentropy.com. The person who did our podcast art is Tor Kirby. And uh, this podcast is over. Yeah. Do you think we're going to come back for like Ant-Man and Wasp or are we probably going to skip those? I mean, if we have any strong feelings about it, either positive or negative. I don't know if the podcast will still be going by the time the next Infinity War rolls around. Special episode. Uh, Special episode. I don't want to have a post-series. You know what? Fuck it. Good night, everybody. (laughs) Good night, everybody. Good night.